0: What if you took that same mindfulness and approached it to strength training or acrobatics or something hard style, something big and powerful? It's like, that's not out of the question, but you have all these avenues where it's like, you're either the hyper-masculine Michelin man who can't wipe his own ass, or you're the unrelatable esoteric yogi, Mr. and Mrs. Soy Latte, who can't lift their own body weight, you know? (laughs) So you have these spectrums and it's like, you do not have to choose to be on one end. You don't have to choose red, blue, left, right, this and that, right? You don't have to black and white. It's like, uh, the best things are probably in that gray area. You know, and it's like you, when you have the freedom and authorization philosophically to live in that gray area, it is so much more fun.
1: everybody welcome to movement matters you might have heard dash there in the background this is the most movementy of all movement matters shows probably to date (laughs) um normally i like to engage in the the obvious to me somatic element of movement which is to say movement is life and life is movement um Which means that as you've thus far heard in season four, we sometimes talk more directly about, well, most recently race and racism and and general isms, the issue with isms, absolutism, um, connection to art and creativity, the need for continued creativity, um, allowing for your identity to continue to mold and remold, form and reform. Uh, the link that is all of the human species at this point, especially when you can, with this lovely Zoom thing, talk to somebody that you've never literally met um, and have a wonderful chat in another country, I mean, another continent for that matter. So on and so on and so on. This conversation is very more obviously about how movement matters. I think it's obvious. Um, My guest, Whalen. Literally had on a shirt, a movement shirt during this. So there's that. And what's the other key thing about Waylon in the beginning here that I want to say? First off, it was a delight. And I am so glad I know this guy. (laughs) But the the fun thing about it is, just like I said uh, with the Casper episode, I am starting to have these conversations with people who I have literally never met. Just to say, this is our first ever actual, real, to the extent that through Zoom is real, um, real conversation, and it is going so damn well, and it is so fun, and this conversation did not need to end. <laughs> it only needed well. It ended because I had I ran out of time, but there's no denying we could have just kept going. Whalen is fun to say the least. Um, puts the fun in functional and functionality. And we clearly are on the same page about how movement is a microcosm and metaphor and re- represent a way to represent all of life and what connects us with respect to, yeah, what connects us as living beings, as humans. It is not just about, the soft tissues and the nervous system and the bones, et cetera, et cetera. It is about all of that, but not just. So on that note, um, folks, Native Cafe. It's a really nice place, especially when I'm at home. I want to just have a little outing. Native Cafe is the place. It's your go-to, needs to become your go-to neighborhood hangout to the extent that you're comfortable hanging out somewhere right now in these weird times. Um, Let's see. Nord bread delivers all their funkiest flavors to native. So they've got that going for them. And uh, the coffee never fails. Coffee never fails. Native cafe, (laughs) where the coffee works every time. I go there as often as I can, mostly because quite frankly, the people, I love the walk, love the neighborhood, and the people. Just so happens they also have, ca- um, you know, the old cafe. Native. Go check it out. Uh, Whalen Whalen Harrison. I spoke with him a couple weeks ago. He is in San Antonio, where they are now getting bombarded, apparently, with snow. Relatively speaking, bombarded. It's been fun to see how that's playing out. There is so much that we talk about, though, and unfortunately we didn't get to talk about snow because that would be fun and uh, bonding over it. At least he didn't hear much about his experience with it. We here in the Doylestown East Coast area have plenty of it and are about to get more of it, apparently, which is why I'm somewhat rushing to get this intro done so we can get this episode out um, while the snow is coming down. You'll have something to listen to, to say the least. All right, so movement. What is functional? That's a key question we unpack. Um, Edo Portal comes up for the first time for me, uh, but I think to the extent that he is relevant, uh, Whalen makes clear. Whalen, I think, has studied with Edo, which is wonderful and apparently very worth doing. Not surprising. Um, we do touch on some relatively controversial, if you will, whatnot throughout the whole sort of I guess movement community, if that is such a thing, or functional fitness community, if you will. But very minimally. I'd like, I think we really unpack in our own meandering kind of way, the the link between movement and beauty. He specifically brings beauty up a lot. It's actually the first time Somebody's ever brought up beauty with respect to Jordan Peterson and movement. So that was fun to see. Um, God comes up and that was neat. Did not expect that. But again, most of this was unexpected because I don't know Whalen. I just knew of him and wanted to connect with him. And it was obvious that it would be worthwhile. And it proved uh, proved true. The thing that I want you to listen for the most, as I get to the end here, and then I'll say a few words from Whalen himself, is a uh, KQ. He introduced this notion of kinesthetic intelligence in addition to emotional intelligence and just straight up IQ, so to speak. But KQ—it's a really interesting concept that I encourage you to look at more. Take notes on this one. And that note, there's, uh, so to speak, there's a, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot. I took a lot of notes and I'm still looking into all the things that he told me about. All right. So thank you again, Whalen. I'm just going to say that there's a, it's not a whole lot really going on in the world. I think create or that I need to touch on. I think it's all the same crap and all the same stuff in the macro sense. So tune into your world, focus on what you can be doing, be creative with the people you can be creative with through <sighs> to echo Casper again, uh, it's a crisis and an opportunity. Fi- uh, allow for both. So here's a note from Whalen, and then you'll hear the episode. Whalen would like to make clear that his focus is, in short, in reminding people that movement is an integral part of our being and is not exclusive to fitness or athletic enthusiasts. One does not live in a body. One is a body. You are a body. They are bodies. There you have it. Thank you, Waylon. Enjoy the episode.
0: <laughs> yeah, and so what What I oftentimes hear people dive into with that, we're talking about the platonic fold and uncertainty, is you hear people say like, I see a lot. People are like, I feel like I observe a lot. I see a lot. I see more than most people and you hear that. And it's, I don't see that as arrogant by any means, but I, I pose the question. I'm like, have you ever seen through anybody else's eyes? Like, what are you speaking in relation to? I mean, when you say I see a lot, I'm like, what is a lot to you? Like, are you are you under the assumption that you know what everybody else is seeing and you are putting yourself on a higher pedestal? Or are you just choosing your 1% of the picture that you see And you know what I mean? It's like, it's like you get to choose as human beings. It's like, we get 1% of the picture or less. You get to choose what angle you want to see that from. You know what I mean? You get to choose the 1% that you're going to look at of the picture. Um, And I think it gets tricky when we start to think our 1% is better than someone else's 1%, right? And then instead of remaining in that humility that it's like, remember that overarching understanding that this, the 99% that you don't see, you know, and that, that, that makes those battles very, very petty.
1: I heard a good definition of humility that I've referenced a lot <clears throat> over the last couple of months. Cause I forget, it might've been Matthew McConaughey surprisingly who said it <laughs> uh, with Russell Brand on his podcast, but regardless of who said it, it's, it's spot on to me, which is, um, the will and the desire to continue to learn basically remembering that there's always more to learn is my favorite understanding of humility.
0: Sure. And, well, and that's, that's extremely liberating, you know, like, At first, I think of almost like the opposite of confidence, but it's really just the opposite of arrogance. And that's that line. And that humility can be very liberating because it allows you, it almost gives you permission to navigate, like navigate freely and to be like, okay, the map is not the territory. And I'm aware of that. So now I have to just use my senses. I always use this, like this analogy of having a map versus not like having an incorrect map versus having no map. Because, you know, say you're like stranded out in the jungle or anywhere, right? Anywhere uh, desolate. And you need to get home. You need to get to civilization, right? And but someone gave you a map, a map that you're so certain of because you're like, oh, this is the map. This is the map. This must be what I need to get home. And so what you do is you throw out all of your intuition and all of your God given gifts because you're like, I have the map. I am certain. I know what I'm doing. So that moment you hear cars in the distance, you go, no, 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 I have the map. That moment, you see, you see all of these little images. You're like, no, no, no the map says to do this. The map says to do this. To get caught up in that certainty, and so you immediately negate and throw out all of those beautifully intuitive things that we are gifted with. Um, and I think that's a that's a damn shame. So that uncertainty allows you to navigate freely, um, and that can go for practice. That can go for life. You know, as um, I think that's an important part of, of what we do is is movement as an integral part of life. And how can you use what you learn in this body through practice? What can that mean? There's like symbolism, there's metaphors, there's, there's all of these things that you can kind of extract. And you see it, you can see students when you work with them or, or clients or, you know, anything, however you phrase that, but you can see it in them, what they unpack. You see levels of frustration, you see how they deal with failure, you see how they deal with something they're not comfortable with, just like that feeling of uncoordination or imbalance. Um, how they deal with conflicting information. Maybe they've been told very, very linear or even two-dimensional understanding of physicality, and then you start to introduce this three-dimensional, that makes it extremely complex, but extremely interesting as well. Um, and you start to lose people. You start to be like, wow, I, I heard this," and, I, and it's like, so you have to contend with this, like, this empirical skepticism. Now people have to be like, "Okay, now I need to try this and see if it works for me, and I need to go out and practice." So you're kind of fostering that doing and less of that thinking, less of that over-theorizing. Um, because it's like, well, you're only going to find out through practice, you know, through tinkering with it, right? And the best things, I think, in history came from tinkerers, right? And that's a huge, huge part of practice for sure.
1: figured I'd just let that sit for a little while. <laughs> Hello, Whalen! How was this morning's... oh? Was it oat milk? Did you get to have the oat milk?
0: No, no, I use uh, I use raw milk.
1: This was oh, oh, right, 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 the raw milk. I was actually just looking. I took pictures over the last week of your stories, and I do remember seeing the raw, yeah, the raw milk. That's what I meant to say. I was actually trying to double check. Was it oat milk or something else?
0: I've had uh, raw goat's milk, but we um. Uh, me and my partner, we go to the Farmers Connect, the local, and they like it's really interesting. I don't know exactly how they do it, but I know it's uh, it's obviously not allowed to sell raw milk in grocery stores. It's not allowed to sell raw milk in general. Um, at Is least that in a
1: te- Texas? Well, you are in PA, believe it or not. You are. At yeah, this okay. point in PA, Good. you are. Yep.
0: Wow. Okay. So in Texas, they're.
1: It's still a state crazy. thing. Yeah. It's a state by you state. You can't
0: go to a farmer's market and get it. You have to go to like the Farmers Connect. You, you have like, there's an annual sign up. And the way they actually get to purchase this raw milk, now I could very well be getting some details off, but they actually, the farmer's connection has to buy stocks on the farm. They have to buy shares of the farm. And then what they do is as they exchange the stock back, they give it back to the farmer Hmm. Then they just give it as a trade. Like, Oh, you gave me stocks and I'll give you this raw milk. And then they can like sell that raw, like it's like some sort of,
1: Every state know. does it a little differently. I've lived in Oregon. I've lived in Virginia. I lived in New York. I've never lived in Texas, but every state does it a little differently. There's like a black market in some states, other places you can find it. Like, it, I don't think there's anywhere you can just find it at like a convenience store, but it's, it's pretty easy in PA actually.
0: Yeah. I saw, um, you know, Matt Blackburn, he does like the mito Life stuff.
1: No. Um, but no. I'm going to write the name down.
0: Uh, the health guy on, um, on Instagram, but he, he posted something where it was like, raw well, unfiltered milk and it was in a grocery store. And I was like, I think he's somewhere in California. And I was just like, wait, what? Like I was just so like, you can't find anything without added vitamin D, A and E. Like, and it's just, and it's such a different taste too. Like it's so rich and creamy.
1: Um, vitamin yeah. d is on my list for here i actually made a list i don't always do that with people but this is a first this is a unique this is a unique episode in many ways for
0: sure. i'm excited about it though no, I, i've been really really thrilled about it i've been really really in my channel this week i've been practicing hard and like you know i did a podcast years ago it was like a video podcast and you know it's years ago so i look back at it on youtube and i'm just like you're like a, you know you look back from years ago and you're like you were such an excited kid like and you had a lot to talk about, but. Maybe you hadn't honed it. Maybe you hadn't sharpened it up. Maybe you were still in this like amazement phase. You know, that phase where it's all kind of unpacking. And you're just like, holy oh, shit. Like, this is incredible. And you're just kind of spilling, you know, um, and there hasn't been that reflection. And I look back and I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> you're still learning the ways of reflecting on what you're amazed by in this life, for sure.
1: Well, there's going to be, yeah, for the, how much time do you have, by the way?
0: I am. Today, this Friday? Yeah, I did most of my things yesterday, so I'm pretty solid.
1: Oh, you got the whole weekend. All right, we can we'll yeah. just, yeah, so we're good till Sunday.
0: For sure. That,
1: that was a joke. Yeah,
0: yeah we're just going to be here. Let's just do a 72-hour
1: podcast. <laughs> That'll be the record, I think. You think? I have water. I don't know if it'll get me through the weekend, <laughs> but I have water.
0: I'll be just picking off some vegetation from these plants for the next couple of days. I'm going to try a three-day vegan.
1: There you go. <laughs> yeah, meat's on the list here. But let me start with this, because I sure. obviously this is what catalyzed it. I saw, you got to thank hashtag FP is the standard for this, I guess. Because <laughs> um, that's, I think, how you popped up for me. And that's I love lot. not only what you, obviously the movement you were doing was very cool. Influenced, as you said, here, I think by, um, was it Capoeira? Um, yeah,
0: Inga from Capoeira. Like but, that's the footwork what, which.
1: Yeah, but what you wrote and then witnessing how you were engaging in the conversation that ensued with people was so refreshing because like part of of course what I expect we may or may not talk about is FP, but with a with the kind of tact that I'm pretty confident you would only allow anyway. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I'm not, yeah, not worried about that. But uh, no, I'm not a basher by any means. I wanted to You're not what by any means?
0: I'm not a basher by any Yeah,
1: way. me neither. Yeah. It's worth
0: <laughs> like,
1: <What? laughs> no, because it, it doesn't get anywhere, right? Uh, um, yeah. Especially g- given what. Living in. Yeah, and what you wrote was exactly what I loved. Literally, um, I'll read. I don't know if I need to read the whole thing. Yeah, concepts over systems, folks. Less time, less time fighting, more time putting this puzzle together. But especially this one. I have an ego, but I'd be foolish to assume. The world can't use some unified guidance. Yeah. That was what really excited me. Um, I'm huge all of, What's huge that? Dream.
0: Huge, huge dream, like in this field, is, yeah. to, see, is to see that, man. Like, what, what would it take? And I ask myself this, like, all the time. I write it in my journal and I think about it. Me and my friend, uh, you might follow him, Jason Kilgore, Trident Strength, on Instagram. Amazing, amazing movement teacher, another local. And we get together all the time and we just, we just geek out. We get in the, you know, the <laughs> last, we're either in my space or his space. And we're just, we're just in the, we're just going crazy. And we always come back to this and it's such good energy and it's, we get the best training done and we're like, we're just piecing this together. And I think to myself, I'm like, isn't it crazy that between you and I, you know, him and I have worked with a lot of these coaches and, um, it's like, what if we could get like Audi Aguilar, Ido Portal, David Weck, and like all of these amazing cats in a room like, but have you know? Because you'd obviously have to have some ground rules to make sure there wasn't like a full out frenzy. Um,
1: but but that, like, that, but that gets to one of the obvious questions that I, I do think. Yeah, we don't have to bash anyone, and I, I know the least yeah. about Weck. I have, um, I have a couple of his. I love those rattles. I have those for oh running. yeah
0: propulsors. Oh,
1: cool, yeah, really? I love those, and I have a jump rope. Um, cool. But I don't, I don't know a lot about Weck. I pay attention to Ito because he. He came across my, I guess, radar first a, many years uh, ago. And he's obviously, he's sort of, he has this legendary uh, vibe about him. Hey, there's oh some my God.
0: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
1: but but Naudi, of course, is the one that um, I think we're most familiar with, I suspect. Or at least I, I think I am. Um, and I've,
0: I'm actually more so familiar with Ido. Um, years back uh, in Boulder, I trained under his mentorship students and himself um, in Colorado.
1: Oh, Here. Nice.
0: Um, and it was just the motion event. Um, however, there were many days before where I was that I was, I remember getting a little bit of a reputation as much as you can get in the very exclusive movement culture. Right. But I remember getting a little bit of reputation cause I was there two days before and I bought day passes at the Boulder movement collective. So we were about to go to a three day event with Ito and his team. Um, and I remember the two days before I bought day passes for both of them. And I went to every class of the Boulder movement collective from like 8 AM to like nine PM, like I was there. They had a lunch break in the middle, but I was there every class. I, I milked that day pass, like I wanted all of it. Um, <laughs> and for the days, what they do is they'll have like two strength classes or two mobility classes, right? And by the time I was in the second one, I got what I came for because the teachers were like, "Oh, this kid is like here. He's he's deep, and he wants this." And I was just this like very. I was still very excited, just kid like here. Like I want. I, I see you guys. I see what you have to offer. And by the end of it. I was getting some private instruction from some of Edo's mentorship students because they were like, Well, we can't have you do two spring sessions a day. Like,
1: we're kind of worried about
0: you. You're this crazy kid who's just been in your own. And there was kind of some whispers and stuff. And I was just there, like with a journal, like, just like, okay, I'm here, I'm here, I'm present. And they were like, Are you gonna be at the event? And I'm like, Yeah, I'm gonna be at the event. And they're like, dude, be careful. I'm like, now I'm like, I'm here, I'm here to even for a week, this body's destroyed. Like, I am here to sit with this. And so by the end of it, I was getting some of the corset protocol and I was getting a little extra attention. And there were a couple other students who were getting the same as well. There's, but it was so crazy to have that. Like, I was like, I'm here, I'm here. Okay. I'll do the same class twice. I don't care. Like I'll hear something different the second time. I was just there so eager, but by the end of it, they were even like, you don't need to hear this for the third time today. Like go Leo, go, go work. With, go
1: play a bit. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it was great. It was fantastic. And I went to the three day event and I mean, I got to work with, like, there was at the Boulder Movement Collective, there was Leov and then, of course, uh, some of Edo students, Odelia, Johnny Sapanoso, all those guys. I mean, it was just, it was an unreal experience. I have a journal from that many years ago, and I still go back to it and find such enriching wisdom. And there is a level of irreverence about Ito, and there's a level of, like, he's just a doer. You know, I asked him because we got the chance to have a conversation at the end of the event and everything. And I was like, what, what is with this? Like, why won't you fight with anybody? Why do you not spend your time arguing? And he just, he just has this, looks at me and he goes, I'm busy practicing. I'm just like, all right. Like, that's what I need to hear. Like, you know what I mean? Like you hear those things. It's just so honest, you know? Yeah. so, like I said, I'm, that was a very tangential, but I am more familiar with Ido. I became familiar with Naudi. Um, probably in the past year, I did some online courses um, and was really curious about the philosophy. I read Anatomy Trains um, through and through, just like cover to cover in like a week. I was obsessed with like the fascial system and whatnot. That's kind of what he was talking about. So I was like, "Oh, I'll be curious about this." Um, but then I got some of the same egotistical things, just just you know, little hints and stuff. that I was like worried about. I was like, "Ah, like is this gonna be accessible to the world?" Like, is this going to do what I want? Is this going to empower humanity, which is what I aim to do through movement practice? Like, I was like, I don't know. That's futile. It's kind of egotistical. I got, I, and I got blocked for asking one question. Um, and it was very, I even acknowledged, I was like, you have so much more experience than me at functional patterns. Like, I'm just curious about this. I see this and I see this in your video and it like kind of contradicts what do you have to say about that? I was just like, what do you think about this? And they were just like, look at all the top runner. Like it was, it was something about gait. It was something about foot landing and they're like "Well, look at all the top runners and this and that and they gave me that and i was like okay okay good all right good ish response um and then they blocked me and that was it. <laughs> and i was just like okay but then looking back and, I, and I, like i said i have respect for these guys but i'm journaling about this i'm like what did they say they said oh the top sprinters like the best of the best run like this i thought to myself i was like okay the best of the best but the best of the best have been known to be good, not because of what they do, but oftentimes in spite of what they do. So it's not yeah. an error reasoning to be like, oh, they're the best and they do this. But it's like, you're not humoring the idea that they're great for other variables and they still have pitfalls. Maybe what they're doing isn't optimal. It just worked for them. So it's an like,
1: example? Because I...
0: Let's say, um,
1: barry sanders is high on their list i know that as is obviously usain bolt but
0: yeah 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 those are commonly talked about for sure like for example let's say like some of the elite athletes have very strange rituals about what they do you know like um i'm trying to think of a solid example it's kind of tricky to think of one um i know usain bolt does like naps and he'll do like funny faces someone told me he does like funny faces and stuff like at his opponents and stuff before the run he gets in the state of <laughs> fullness which i think is valuable. i can
1: picture that you kind of see it on camera even
0: for sure for sure yeah. and he's a very humorous guy about what he does and he's playful and of course the best of the best in almost any field have a sense of playfulness right however it would be easy for us to be like oh he makes funny faces that made him the best sprinter in the world he does that and that made him the best sprinter in the world and it's like you start to look at that kind of a head tilt. You're like, what? I've actually made him the best sprinter in the world. Is he the best in spite of that? Or is he the best because of that? We get, we get hung up thinking they must have the perfect formula they, because they're the best. I'm like, but yeah. you're not hearing the idea that maybe they'd even be better if some things were changed. So you can't just airtight be like, Oh, the best do this. And therefore I must do this. You know, it's not airtight. It's a good, it's a good direction to be going. Like what are the greats doing? it leaves it leaves evidence right but it's not the whole picture because some of them have very freakish habits that we find out later were very detrimental to their performance but other things kind of compensated for maybe it's genetic maybe it's the training is making up for some crazy error in the diet or sleeping or something like that you know it's not always perfect just because they're the best doesn't mean they have the perfect formula you know so it's not limiting yourself to being like oh I'm just going to do what the best does. But it's like the best, the way the best got there, was what they innovated, They tried new things. They did it differently than people before them. You know? So it's like, if we ever hope to transcend and push that bar higher, we shouldn't be just doing the same thing as the best. We should be curious about that. And then we should also be navigating, well, what can we do to even get like increments higher? Now, I'm not saying I'm going to be Usain Bolt in the race in this lifetime, but it'd be curious. It'd be something to think about. It'd be like, well, Is everything he did, am I going to just check that off? Is everything he did was absolutely perfect? He's the pinnacle of optimal training because of that? Or am I going to acknowledge that there's a whole platonic fold? There's a whole 99% of the picture that I don't understand. And so maybe there's a lot going on there, you know? And so it's kind of tricky for us to, our minds are so hung up on causation, you know, that we're like, oh, the best does this. So that means that made him the best. And it's like, hmm. Mm, maybe not. you know. So it's just something to think about, just to ponder.
1: Causation's a good word. I think there's another aspect to it that <clears throat> goes hand in hand maybe with all of that. The the ego point that you made in that post weeks ago, the, the desire for some kind of ability to agree or um, find uh-huh. common ground and focus on all of that. I think because that is the part that jumped out to me the most because I'm always... I think I'm generally curious about that and I'm, I'm glad a lot of other people are. Yes. But uh, yeah, the tendency that I'm confused about sometimes, especially in that particular community, the FP world as I perceive it, especially because I've, I've explored with a local guy here, an FP practitioner, I, in 2020 really committed to just trying to get a sense of what the whole thing was and oh. uh, did, you know for research sake and also like oh yeah i can see how this is actually helping in some ways it, a lot of it makes a sense the confusing part is the t- what i think you just said is related but i would phrase it as the propensity to towards absolutes um the yeah. perception that you can put it all in an absolute box yeah that confuses the hell out of me
0: Dude,
1: and <laughs> you throw out
0: tinkering, you throw out experimentation, you throw out all the things that got us where we are today as an industry and as a, as a world, right? As a society. It's that tinkering, Is that experimentation. And you're like, oh, the greats do this, so I'm just going to do that. That must be what makes the greats the greats. It's like, you don't to see what made the greats the greats.
1: But, but also, understand- yeah, but what is the, as I wrote to you in one of your recent little stories, what <laughs> is, just the, the word context, what is... The context like what is the point like I would love to see a bunch of people agreeing on what is uh I guess healthy or worthwhile or you know the why I call it real wellness like something that we can primarily be on the same page about that seems like a good thing and if that's not if that's not part of somebody's motivation it confuses me like well what is your motivation then isn't that Why isn't that? is that an if not why not Mm-hmm. What matters really besides that? Like, so yeah. like, I'd be delighted to run as fast as Usain Bolt, but yeah, sure. it doesn't seem like, like the most important thing. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: I would say what's more important than me or anybody else running like Usain Bolt is getting people in walkers and getting people who can't run at all to just run again. You know what I mean? The world needs more of that than it needs people running at Olympic levels. Right now, especially
1: sure. in like, sure. Yeah.
0: our country, at least. I mean, there are other parts of the world where it's different, but especially in the US, we need people just like getting their lower back pain dealt with. You know what I mean? We need people who feel like they can go outside and go on, you know, a hike and not like roll an ankle or like be just completely exhausted for a week. Like, that's like, I don't I think, think that that's going be by design. You know, no, like no,
1: and of course that speaks to the the dysfunctional nature of our quote maybe society yeah. and of mm-hmm. course the the focus on improving function and making function fun. Yeah. but I guess to me this this piece about agreements and something that could potentially be more unifying as you put it yeah. in your piece, there's a there's a why to me that has nothing to do with walking or running it has to do with (laughs) um general reformation of what like what is the whole point of being human what is the point of being alive yeah yeah. i don't think having to focus on movement is actually quite frankly very uh important i think being able to focus on movement is just ideally pretty and pretty irrelevant in the long run Ah. In the Absolutely. long run. yeah, Which is yeah. what I've perceived from your, your, I guess. No,
0: you, it, the movement itself is not the thing. You know, yeah. that's the difference between like practicing movements and having a movement practice. Like huge, huge difference, right? And it's like when you start seeing the body as like your relation to the environment around you. When you mm-hmm. start just having that relationship with like, this is how I navigate the world. This is the vehicle for my consciousness. When you start using language like that, it becomes very clear, like what you need to do. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, yes. What, what sites am I going to miss out on? What experiences am I going to miss out on? And that's more of the fear. There's the fear and desire based, right? There's for me, it started with like a little bit of fear. It's like, well, when I'm older, am I going to want to be able to go down and play with my grandkids? Probably. Am I going to, still wanna yeah. <laughs> hike? am I going to still want to be like, Oh, I can climb that mountain and see that view. like, Or am I going to be like, oh, uh, I didn't, I didn't prepare for that. I didn't make that a habit my entire life. And it's like, I just, I, I have a little bit of hesitation about that limitation. Like I I can do what I can to avoid that limitation, but there's also the, those core beliefs. Like when we talk to, especially modern psychology, they talk a lot about like core beliefs, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, us having a lot of little dents on our psyche all day. Like what does it do to you? when you start feeling or affirming the core belief that like, oh, I have two left feet. Oh, I'm always messing things up. Oh, I drop that all the time. Oh, I drop, I, like you hear people just disempower themselves. Yes, left, right.
1: drives left me nuts. Right. <laughs>
0: right? But in a movement practice, you can combat that. You can achieve things. You can have tangible growth that you can feel in your physicality. You can feel more connected. You can feel more comfortable in your environment. And then that contradicts those core beliefs that may have been instilled for however long you've been alive, you know, you start to have real world evidence that you're not uncoordinated, that you're not imbalanced, that you're not incapable, that you can empower yourself through work. You can empower yourself through craftsmanship. You know, Mm -hmm. and people I think need that. Like, I think, especially I was thirsty for that.
1: Well, it's a different relationship with play ultimately uh, in in that regard, when you phrase it that way
0: hmm Yeah. And the play, right? And then it it gives you a level of jovialness again. It gives us back that sense of play because it's not all survivalistic anymore. It's not like yeah. you're walking down the street and you know, I'm a I'm 6'4, um, I've been boxing for 12 years. And so I see walking wow, down cool. at that time a little differently than maybe a 5 female who has never done any of that. You know, I'm gonna see it differently. But what piece of that confidence can you give that person? You know, I mean, what can that do for their life when they're walking like, all, like scared down the street versus someone who's like, you know what? Like if it came to it, you know, I could both evade and I could also defend myself. It's like, oh, I've trained with the parkour guys for years too. It's like, oh yeah, I've trained with the track stars for quite a while too. It's like, it's unlikely that someone is going to both run faster than me, be more agile than me, and know how to fight with more efficacy. Than me. So that's more of like a security. You have that confidence anywhere you go, right? And then there's the playfulness. So you're not worried about that anymore. So your mind can focus on like the beauties of life, right? The things we see. You're not so hung up on like, oh, is there someone around that corner Like it's that fear. Like
1: well, that distinction is literally the difference between relating to like you said, if you use your body as the the lens through which to understand maybe all relationships, relating to others and the world at large as something you're inherently part of and connected to or um, separate from and needing to sort of be in opposition to. And obviously, I I mean, maybe not obviously, but I think there's probably a little bit of need for both, but maybe if we relate to it, I perceive the excess that we as a culture um, promote, Often unintentionally is the opposition, the being in opposition to. And I'm very curious about the possibility of what, literally, our lives would be like if we primarily were being in with a sense of connection to, as opposed to opposition to. Yes. To me, that because that is the body. To me, that is that is literally what the body shows me. That's Mm -hmm. how I perceive it. I don't know if that is. Entire, in terms of the don't know that i don't know um, mm. <laughs> that seems like something i do know that seems like something yeah. we do know yeah. that seems like maybe all we know at the mm. end of the day yeah but i don't perceive a whole lot that's in opposition truly at the end of the day
0: for sure yeah so what you can do in movement practice or in really any practice you choose, whatever avenue you go down, but with the same approach really is how can you fine tune your relationship with the world around you? Yes. Do you know I mean? <laughs> <laughs> is like, how can we go about fine tuning that? How can we make that better? How can we see something and know in our heart of hearts that if I need to move softly and gracefully and with sensitivity around that, I absolutely can. And if I need to move powerfully with like ferocity, if I need to move big and strong, I can. And to have that option, you know, to walk around with that option is so empowering. Mm -hmm. So, so empowering in a society that's crippled in that way, in a lot of ways, you know? And, and then you go into like the, there's, there's almost an anti-movement in culture, like, let me just give an example in, in my life, at least. You know, of course, we can talk about how there's there's not low tables at restaurants and there's no options to sit on the floor. And Can I foodies. take a
1: picture of you sitting where you're sitting?
0: Yeah, of course. Because you're...
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's perfect. It's, As, obviously, you're about to point out how we can't sit on the floor. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, and it's like we have a very anti-movement culture. And not only in those obvious ways. Like, there's not things to hang on in waiting rooms. There's not... It's always covered with chairs. It's like sitting on the floor, you're like what are you doing? Are you in pain? Are you yeah. okay? I get asked that all the time when I'm squatting in public. Are you in pain? I'm like, no, are you? And usually I get a yes. Usually it's like, yeah, I back backwards all the time. I feel like that would help. I was like, come on down. And sometimes yeah. I get it. Sometimes it sparks good conversation. Um, but then again, now I'm connecting with my environment just by doing it. Just by doing it and being something, something antithetical to what I'm seeing around me. Um, and a more, more extreme example, like in this very house during the pandemic, I, I was uh, my day job, quote unquote, I was a head instructor at a martial arts studio in a wealthier part of town here in San Antonio. And we were on lockdown. So we were doing classes, right, on Zoom. And I was in front of my big window downstairs. And I'm, just, to, just so you know, this is a private martial arts academy. The age group is primarily five to 12 years old. So it's very, very like safe we have uniform to cover our tattoos like all of those things it's very conservative very strict culture so you can imagine how safe the movements are how cut and dry it's very very strict disciplined culture and i have like my shirt tucked in my belts on and everything and I'm, i have my computer in front of the window and i see my neighbor across the street and she's she's like drinking a brown liquid so i'm assuming maybe something alcoholic in her front yard with her dog and she's obviously you know maybe 50 60 pounds overweight these are just my assessments like seeing it like she's out there she's like you know her gait, like she's i think she's tipsy maybe and i see a lady walk by and she says some words to her and i can see the lady's like obviously kind of uncomfortable and i live in a fairly nice neighborhood you know suburbs of san antonio and i see that and i take notice as i'm teaching the class I'm, i'm literally in the middle of teaching the class and we go on water break and the woman starts walking across the street, like almost up, she goes up to my front door and I see her, but then she doesn't knock. And so I go out there, I'm just asking, I'm just like, Hey, is everything okay, man? Like, how's everything going? And she's like, you know, you should really, you know, cover that up. You should really put the blinds up when you're doing that in your living room. And it's so in that we're doing arm circles. I'm literally in like Kung Fu pants, a t-shirt, my shirt's tucked in. We're doing arm circles. I'm like, We're swinging around our arm, loosening up, you know, doing some tension release work before striking. We're doing arm circles. And this woman is like, you should really cover that up. Like you should really put up a curtain or something. So people don't have to see that. And I just kind of, I didn't, I had no response. I was like, okay, man, have a beautiful night. She's like day drinking in her driveway. And I'm, I'm audacious for teaching a children's martial arts class in my living room. You know, like, and that's, that's not the only example of that, but that's just like a very prime example of what somebody who's insecure In their physicality, and obviously a little inebriated, but it was like she wasn't stumbling or anything. It was just like she was just—that's what it seemed like. And it was just this moment of like, and I and I sat and journaled about and reflected, and I was like, what it's like to be so hurt in your body, or so incapable that when you see someone practicing that, you're almost like there's a level of embarrassment or there's a level of shame that you must project onto them. And I've gotten this before. I get the antithesis where people are like, that is
1: beautiful.
0: That is something I've never seen before. And I want in, I want a slice of whatever you're dealing out. And you get people who are like, how How could you do that? What are you doing? Get off the floor. You know, like you get people like that. And it's like, wow, to to think about. And I don't know exactly what goes on. I don't know what went on in her head. But to me, it seemed like there must be a lot of internal disempowerment for you to feel the urge to see that and be like, that better be covered up. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see other people move freely.
1: You don't think it had anything to do with the pandemic, so to speak, right? Like A group of people indoors, pandemic related. No, no, no.
0: We we're doing Zoom, it was just me. We, it was a- oh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh,
1: well, well, that's that's yeah, well, then there you go, yeah, yeah. And it's I like,
0: that's a good question, but see, you're you're it's important, and you, I can see from that that you have a very like you have a very devil's advocate mind, which is important. And I try to, oh, do
1: that well. well, no, I mostly am with you. I honestly, the main temp- temptation is to be able to make a, a funny joke about texas from the, <laughs> stereotypical, <laughs> the stereotypical things that we 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 foreigners hear about your your little oh, yeah. your country um oh, yeah. no i i am not really playing devil's advocate i completely understand but uh, I, I i was just trying to understand like, well maybe yeah. she was reacting to a group of people but i guess that is a little advocate i was
0: in my living and i was just like and when i tell people about that they're like what and it's just like no, that's not the only one, you know, like it happens like that. And when you, and Jordan Peterson talks about this, I have been really listening to this. Uh, Akira,
1: oh yeah. I wanted to ask you about him too. Yeah.
0: Oh man. I've been listening to this guy, Akira the Dawn on Spotify. And he literally just does like Alan Watts. He has Jocko Willink and Jordan Peterson and all these people. And they're just over like beats. It's just sampled philosophical speeches over beats. And it's fucking amazing. Like amazing food, amazing brain food. And I was listening to Jordan Peterson talk about making it beautiful. He was like, I keep saying, clean up your room. And it's become quite this internet meme. Oh, clean up your room, this and that. And he mentions, he's like, no, 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 no. Clean up your room and make it beautiful. He's like, establish that relationship with beauty because that's your transcendence from hell. He's like, that's your relationship with godliness is that beauty, that beautification of the world around you. And he's like, start with your room. He's like, because if you make your room beautiful, everything around it will start to glow in the most kind of bad of ways, right? And he says that he's like, it'll glow in a very obvious, but bad way. And you want to rectify that. You'll do whatever's in your power to make it beautiful and to walk around to know that in your wake, you leave beauty, you know, and to start in your room, start where you reside, where your mind is, you know, how you do things in your room. And that is so potent. But he also mentions, he's like, now once you start playing with that, people will resist it because Hmm. he highlights It's antithetical. It highlights its contrast, right? What's beautiful shows us. It's why we're, he says, what's why we're intimidated by a beautiful woman, right? It shows us what we're not. It shows us what we could be and what we're not, right? And so people will resist that. All you have to do is stand in grace and stand in beauty and watch how people will just unfold. And they'll unpack all of their own demons and they'll unpack all of their own things. So all you have to do, and it goes back to everyone from the Beatles to Gandhi to just be right? You know, it comes right back to that simple to just be and let everything else unfold and observe, use it as food for thought, use it as food for inspiration, go forth with being, you know, and that's the approach I've taken on most of my practice and most of my things. Now, most of anything I put forth, I'm like, well, there's gotta be a level of like, gas off, just show up how you know you want to show up, show up like I want to take to the grave that people recognize it. Like when Waylon went places, he made it better. He did whatever he could to make me better. He did whatever he could to make the environment better. He did whatever he could to make it better. You know, and that's, I think that's one of the, the highest virtues you can take to your grave is to be, is to go around and say, well, what can I do? And to move in silence in that way. I'm sitting here speaking about it, but
1: well, because it's, it's, it's...
0: when you're doing it, the philosophy should be spoken from the rooftops, but the actions should be done in silence. It's like, oh, you see, you see like a friend of yours drop something or there's something you can help clean. Like, it's just like these little things where it's, it's an ingrained mindset. It's like you walk into a room and you're like, oh, there's a mess here. Maybe I don't want to clean up the whole mess, but I'll at least organize the mess a little bit. So you walk oh. away, you could have taken a picture of before and after and every room you walk into before and after looks better. Right. And it's like, and you leave that in your wake and that has an energy, that's a ripple effect. You know, that, that fans out into your house, that fans out into your community, that fans out into the, the people you speak to you know, they can see that truth in you. I, I do believe that people are more intuitive than sometimes we give them credit, even when they're blocked and guarded and have their boundaries, like have their walls and all of those things that they still feel, they still feel. I met a lot of people who came to me and they were like, they reached out to me and we met up in person because they were like, I get a sense from you that I want to be around you. I'm hurting in life and I want to be around you. And so I'm like, okay, like let's just meet up somewhere. Right. I've done that so many occasions and people trying to get a read on me and stuff and they acknowledge it like I get a lot of people who are very straightforward because when people are in a place of suffering and hurt and they acknowledge it and know it they they reach out they get to that point where they are just like they see someone who's trying to live a meaningful existence and they're like well I I want some of that what do you have for me and so I talk to these people and they're always trying to figure out they're like what's your game what's your thing what's your like what's your speed what are you trying to get and I'm like I don't know, man. <laughs> like, I'm trying to figure that out. Like, I, don't know. I, I guess I wanted to chat with you today. That's why I drove out of here. This <laughs> is like, a really like funny thing when when people are so used to this. Like it's this almost enlightened cynicism that we've come to as a culture. People are like, oh, everyone's out to either get my money or get my time or get my blah blah blah. And I'm like, bro, let me give you something refreshing because I've had people in my life who came up to me and I knew just wanted to help me, mm-hmm. and I wanted to be that. I saw that. And I mean, that's the inspiration from all religious texts and everything. It's like, we want to be like those saints. We have a little bit of that in us. You know what I mean? And we want that to be expressed and to have that be your core desire. I think is a very powerful thing. And it it means a lot to people. It's not, it's not a completely selfless, like saint, like life. It's like to see that you had a part in making something better, like is a reward, right. To know that you did something. We know what it feels like when you really clean something that was super dirty. And it's not just that like, oh, thank goodness I got it done. But there is that sense. And if you can highlight and put beam some light on that sense of pride that comes from making something beautiful, then that becomes all you strive for, you know, but you have to highlight, you have to accent it and get that sense of reward from it. You know, so I really love that philosophy of just try to make it beautiful. Just do what you can, you know, to make it a little bit better. And it it doesn't, it's not that much work, right? It's a very simple philosophy. I
1: think so. <laughs> I concur. It, it is simple. Um, yeah, I'm often reminded <clears throat> to remember, to say that something is simple but not necessarily easy for some people. Yeah. And I, I'm a big why kind of guy. I don't always think why questions are the best, but I'm always interested in understanding what's going on. So sometimes a why question matters. Yeah. Um, and I think people have a hard time getting out of their own way. Yeah. In terms of something being even though it might be simple, take that woman across the yard, not always yeah. easy. It might and you could probably explain to her in simple terms, but I we both know she may not get it at all. And there's a potent there's a in the wayness, if you will. But you know what you just also echoed was Ito's whole point. Like, I'm just I'm too busy doing I'm too busy practicing, so to speak. I'm too yeah. busy with creating beauty and focusing on beauty to get caught up in the potentially dysfunction of combativeness, excessive yeah. combativeness, unnecessary yeah. um, war, really. I mean, to be truly, to yeah. hit it on the head, really. You just mentioned saintliness, and I wouldn't claim to know who and who is and who isn't a saint, but I always liked... This quote, a man of peace is not a pacifist. I think I heard this in 2009 for the first time. A man of peace is not a pacifist. A man of peace is simply a pool of silence. And the the point as far as I understand it is that to get too caught up in your own, to use the word ego or identity or identity in opposition to something is to miss your arguably... um, Capacity to create beauty. You not only do you miss maybe the point of something, but you lose. Uh, you miss the opportunity to um, leave something better than it was before. Yeah, yeah. Pacifism obviously is in opposition to war, and you could simply, if in your own sort of uh, simple understanding of how humans tend to relate yeah. to things, understand that being in opposition to war is. Not going to get us very far.
0: <laughs> mm, absolutely, no, no, no. And there's a there's a level of you mentioned it where it's like we get restricted once we start combating it becomes force. And I always think of like I always think of beauty and grace as being smoke like or like
1: gaseous, right? Yeah, and that is why I've been drawn to someone like Ito because he seems to prioritize. I mean, just watch him float around on the ground. It's like, of course, there's something so. It's just like watching water blown in the wind, which is a crazy idea. Like, wow, I'm watching a waterfall getting moved by the wind. Like, how is yeah. that e- that's not even a thing?
0: <laughs> uh, not in most of our realms, not in our not in a combative reality. It's like right. and when it comes down to it, like there's value in all of these guys, but I really and Ito gets a lot of flack and it's almost like it's almost like a drinking game at this point, like in, in podcasts about movement. How many times do you say ito Portal?
1: Oh, um, really? <laughs>
0: this, this, right? this is so, my
1: first time ever mentioning him, so <laughs> I'm happy about that.
0: And it's just it's just one of those things, like, you, he has this thing, he's just, show me your students. And it's like, well, not only that, but show me your teacher. Like, I'm like, I don't know any other teachers who are moving like Edo. You yeah. know what I mean? At half his age. Like, I sure as hell don't move like Like Don't get me wrong, I practice day in and day out. I feel myself progressing all the time, and I, I all record myself and see them, like see those details are getting sharper, and I like that. And years ago, I would like, uh, especially with the swinging, I was po- I was recently posting the the three sixty swinging, the rotating.
1: Yeah, remember, on your monkey bars.
0: Yeah, I remember yeah. seeing that four years ago, and I didn't have the grip strength to even hold like hang on one arm. I could do two arm for like twenty five seconds or something like that. Something like eh, not let's use conscious language. Something. <laughs> You know, something that I was getting started is what it was. Um, Because, again, I don't want to negate anybody who might be at five seconds because you should start and you should keep with that five Well said. Well said. Build on that, right? I was young still, and I did a little bit of physical education. You know, in the U.S., that is low bar. But I can hang a little bit, but not on one arm. So swinging was like playly leg. It was strengthy and bent arm and just like ugly, 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 ugly. And as the years go by, I I remember seeing people like swing and being like, it's like a gibbon. Like that is so graceful. That is beautiful. I want to move like that. being like, Well, how do I move like that? Well, let's just, let's just hang and swing more, you know, and over time now it looks like how it does and it's still got work, but I'm just like, I look at it and I'm like, that's what I saw four years ago. And I can have that introspection and be like, four years ago, I saw someone do what looks exactly like that. It was like, I want that today. I have that and I can pull it out at any time. It's in the toolbox. Um, and that's, that's an, a moment of empowerment. That's a moment of like, Oh wow. The fruits of labor, the fruits of consistency. Like it's just, again, tangible, like movement practice is such a great way to get real world evidence of whatever philosophy. It's really just a canvas. It's like, we've got movement. How are we going to move? Well, what do you believe about your movement? What do you believe about your life Like you can see character in the way people move like all the time? You can, like their personality you can see rigidity and stiffness or you can see oh like almost over levels of looseness and gooey gooey but no structure right mm-hmm. you can witness that and when you're willing to get out of this just like can like oh they're just stiff but then you start thinking like not thinking and not projecting but asking questions and maybe getting a feel for like well how rigid do they think how rigid do they approach other things you know and you can start to see some correlation obviously not causation but it becomes a
1: different conversation. Well, causation is almost irrelevant at that point. It's a chicken and yeah. the egg kind of thing. Because yeah. you can't, I don't know if you can ever get to the root of it without eventually unpacking something that probably has nothing to do with this individual's, so to speak, you know, life. It's bigger than them, if you will, mm. meaning like their history, their, uh, their, yeah, well, I'd say that's probably partly related to them but i mean even the um the macro stuff meaning their ancestry their oh yeah the effects that they're not even that all of us are not even necessarily present to all the time maybe some of us are or it can become easier huh. to be present to them uh of simply living in this society but one thing you just to me what you just described is Really, my main personal background is what we call somatic education, which I think is yeah. Um, Feldenkrais is the tool that I yeah do.
0: yeah most yeah. Of them. yeah.
1: That's actually my primary. I guess you could say at this point one of the primary tools, but the main one that I really studied the it's most.
0: Great work in there.
1: Well, yeah, and it's everything you're describing. <laughs>
0: Soft on the body. I don't love the Feldenkrais method. I think I i can sing nothing but praises about what it does, especially for like geriatric populations and whatnot. Like because it's so gentle. It's so just like let's explore these like like these neural lines and like it's just really clean, crisp, like it's anatomy trains, training wheels almost. Like to me, mm-hmm. like when I look at it, I'm like, it is like the soft way to start connecting fascia. It's a very gentle way. No matter what level you're at of pain or anything, it's like if you find a Feldenkrais practitioner, it's like they're going to help you. You know that's what I really respect about it. it. It does it does a great job of meeting people where they're at. You know, I right, think that's
1: great. right, right, right. And that is, I think, what it is for. Um, and the, to me, most provocative point of it all. I've I've started studying it in 2007, actually. And, um, oh, nice. It is it was always intriguing to me because what I find most exciting and energizing is that point that there's an inevitable change in your thinking there's an inevitable change in your neurological yeah. tendencies your actual patterns which are rooted in your nervous system that's always been the most to me that's isn't the it, juicy well, shit
0: <laughs> isn't it so beautiful and it and it, it like it borders that esoteric so sometimes we have to be like yeah
1: to be, it's totally
0: to kind of and i find myself doing this where i have by nature I have a ferociously pragmatic and scientific mind where I was like, Oh, like for years and years, I was like, if it isn't backed by science in a textbook, it ain't real. Like I live and that's scientism, right? That's not like being a scientist. That's scientism. That's like treating it like a religion. Right. And I can only follow what the, and then you start, you start reading some books. Right. And you're like, wow, like science can be lobbied too. It can be funded by powers, too. So this can be misleading, too. Wow. Like, it's like, it, this is an airtight. We're well, just calling
1: in- it an ism. It points, yeah, captures exactly. all the point. I, exactly. I frame all of these as just, these are the absolutisms. This is the absoluting. That's our, to me, that seems like our main flaw, if you will, our main mistake. Yes. Um, The addiction, if you will, the constant. It
0: keeps us, linear. It keeps us so linear in our thoughts. And yeah. our. <laughs> approach to life and it's like what avenue do i need to take i'm like dude like you're in a three-dimensional grid like people think we're like always walking on land like you live in space you live (laughs) among space walk on the earth and it's like no 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 you reside in space okay so it's like it and when you start understanding it's three-dimensional there's there's both that we talked about the surrendering because you're like wow there's too much interplay for me to be certain about any of this and how liberating is that because then you can navigate it But then it it just, it frees you up. It frees you up to think about things. It frees you up to not be so, like, bogged down by your isms, you know? It gives you that freedom to, like, be like, well, what? Like, I have friends who are really into astrology, and I've even picked up, like, every morning I'll, like, draw a tarot card. Like, I'm not big into that stuff, but I'll sit and breathe with it, and if I think of a number, I I flip through that many cards, and I find something, and I journal about it a little bit, I'm like, I don't know what this means. I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, everybody needs to do tarot. Everybody needs to listen to their local astrologer, but it's like. Like what happens when you just start shutting that shit down? And as I did for years, you start, you're pushing still people away, you know, and maybe Mm -hmm. they have their absolutes. maybe there are people who think that the stars dictate everything about their life. And that's another ism, right?
1: They're all absolutes. Exactly.
0: But if you start seeing it as an interplay, like maybe (laughs) this has something to do with something to do with something to do with this, Eh, let's humor it. Let's just play with it. Let's just play with it. Right. We go back to that play. Now you're playing in life. Because you're aware that you, you don't know the rules of the game all the time, and you don't know the parameters. You're just kind of put in this game, right? And like,
1: but even that. if you could, yeah, this is a one of many core questions that I keep close, um, and I really do. Like, I'm not just saying that. This is a these are foundational rem, like reminders to myself. Like, even if you could have it all figured out and you could know it all, why the fuck would you want to? It's, it's so like, counter yeah. to life.
0: Mm -hmm. it's like starting a video game and you're already at level 100 with all the equipment and all the gear if
1: 100 is done then yes yeah if 100 if 100 is out of infinite fine start wherever the hell you want to yeah but why would you want to be done yeah there's something really insane about that actually
0: yeah and it goes back to all of those like meaning through suffering right like a man's search for meaning and like even um even again jordan peterson like all of these great great minds talk about like Your goal in life is to find what's worth all the suffering, what's worth the trials. I mean, like if you're born without the trials, just knowing it all, and you're like, oh, I'm so certain. like you have it figured out, like you're not just fooling yourself, you're actually certain. It's like, again, it's like it's the reason we start video games as like little characters on level one with like the little pitchfork or whatever. Like, you know, it's the reason we do that and we go through the game and we get an enjoyment out of the trials and the tribulations, and like that's where our meaning is found. You know what I mean? And it's like
1: Let me let me ask you about. Peterson, real quick. I've read Twelve Rules for Life, and I know a bit about his first book. Um, the and I do find his overall, I guess, um, you know, service to be just that. Like he's offering a really great service, and I love how he's even connecting with guys like Wim Hof. Now it's fun to see everybody yeah. connecting, and yep. nevertheless, I'm curious about what. Even that there's, to me, there's a built-in assumption there about suffering. Do we, are we not making an assumption that there's, that there has to be a certain amount of suffering? To me, that's an even, that there's something even assumed in that. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Like there's a context even to that idea to me that is worth questioning.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely think it comes from, that's a good question to assume that there is a certain amount of suffering.
1: Or has to be. More importantly, has has
0: to be. be. Interesting. Yeah, it's to me, I think that's the 99% kind of having its way with you, right? Like the platonic fold of uncertainty. I think that everybody is just inevitably like, it's really hard to, hmm. it's almost like you have to disprove things, right? Like if I found a person who had lived a life and I could ask them at 75 years old, 100 years old, whatever age you consider old, right? Depends on where you are in the world.
1: 200.
0: If I, person, if I ask that person, have you ever suffered in your life? And if one person on earth can tell me no, then it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I guess suffering is not, but it's, it's, it would be really, I feel like it would be impossible. I do feel as though it would be impossible to find a person who lived to that age and has not known suffering. Um, and yes, so it's like, I agree. It's inevitable. It's an inevitable thing. Not necessarily like, oh, I need to look for it or it needs to happen in my life for me to be a person. Like not identifying with the suffering or requiring it as a necessity, but acknowledging that what's going to make me tick is how I handle that suffering, how I go about that, what I do, how I bear my cross, you know, is going to really determine.
1: Well, okay, you kind of went right to it. (laughs) There's an inherent Christian undertone to it. And I didn't actually expect that we would even get direct, like, uh indirectly in, into religion but i'm gl- delighted my actual my main background um in terms of what i studied in college is is religious studies my bachelor's is actually religious studies movement and this, like, well, this the science if you will of movement yeah, yeah. so to speak goes hand in hand with the more as you said like esoteric side of things mm-hmm. and the feldenkrais it, to me it all just fits together so freaking wonderfully yeah, it's christ yeah, the idea even of a like a cross is so contextualized.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
1: <laughs> I don't. And and Jordan clearly, I'm pointing because I. Yeah, actually, the book's right over there. Um, <laughs> he so clearly has this perspective that Western civilization, which has inevitably roots in the Christian Christian myth. Of course, of course, uh, I doubt it um ha is inherently good and i don't even think that that's worth questioning i think there are inherently good things about everything it seems but to assume that the the myth of a of a human having to carry across is just like first off recognizing that it is an assumption that that's a part of the human experience to me is a really important point. And if I if you go to I've been to places where I don't think they've claimed to never suffer, but other places that aren't necessarily as affected by Christian myths and the Christian components and, and Judeo Christian, I guess you could say, of Western yeah. Civ, um they're not as I think prone to perceiving a situation as a um, problem or something that they have to handle. It's often the perception I have is just what they are going to do that day as the biological mammalian creature on this planet that they are. Uh. Like, I think the concept of suffering is something that we have a lot of assumptions about. I'm not saying I know, but I do think we have assumptions about it. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. I, yeah, it, it,
0: it's, the question comes up, like, at one point, does it not become an assumption? So, the only, the only assumption that I confidently make, um, and I would almost just, like, I would say with certainty, is that every human in their life is going to suffer. At one point or another. Um, That is something like, and I could, I'm very well open to me involved. I would love to meet a person, like I said, like a grown individual who has lived, even, you know what I mean? Like, you could ask a five year old, it's like, have you ever suffered? Have you ever been hurt? Yeah, I fell off my bike last week. It hurt really bad, scraped my knee. And it's like, you know what I mean? It's like,
1: probably the main example. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's like, probably one of the first examples or something like that. Like, oh, mom didn't me that toy at, at McDonald's or whatever. It's like, Please don't let your kid eat to McDonald's. Little disclaimer, but, <laughs> <laughs> but that's, a, that's a common. Uh, <laughs> that's like the standard American, like like you know maybe one of your first experiences with like hearing no or something like that. You know those are our first experiences with what we think is suffering. You know, mm-hmm. like what I and mean, then again I guess it becomes this deeply fluid thing, right? Where it's like what assumptions you're right do we have about suffering? And uh, my only. Thing I guess, and it could be a level of arrogance. It could be a level of uh, knowledge or data-based arrogance. Where I'm like, I do believe that everyone suffers their own suffering. I think everyone bears their own cross, and the only thing we get to choose is how we want to bear that. You know what I mean? Like, and it's like also another question is that can you empower yourself to the point that when you see someone can't bury their cross, can you can you carry yours and a little bit of theirs
1: too? yeah can you be then
0: become that whole like um george a bear where he's like very foundational and parkour like or very foundational and functional movement in general it talks about being strong to be useful you yeah. know what i mean like being strong being capable to be of service is kind of how i word that you know um it's like what can you help you know like man like i think it's better i think it's Better to be like when some, when trials come to you to be that person who breaks down in the corner, but like when a trial happens, sometimes it happens to a lot of people like think of a death of a family member. You know what I mean? Like what if you could be that family member who's like, who's mourning and you have that grief and you're not tucking it away. You're not like, you're not repressing it. that's not the same, but you can process it in a certain way. Understanding maybe you have some stoic beliefs that death is cyclic and not an end of a line. You know, you get this seasonal kind of Eastern approach to time and living and death, and it's not so... Maybe you've approached that philosophy. You've become more adaptable to death than the Western ideology of, I've lost death. And maybe you're that family member who gets to have all the pieces together. You know what I mean? Like plans of a funeral is the shoulder to cry on and all of those things. It's like, I mean, that's valuable. And I think that's like something people knew like i think that that people should strive for that and uh, again you have to steer clear of like the repression where it's like oh no i'm just gonna can't just be hubris it can't just be arrogant when like i'm just gonna tuck it all away i'm not hurt i'm not hurt no you grieve but you grieve with that wisdom in your heart you know you understand that because that that is your strength right you will say knowledge is power and eh. like to a degree i think wisdom is the actual power right it's what we're really after hopefully applied knowledge um
1: well grieving like is a that. grieving is a great example. It's the main one that I thought of, in fact, because yeah. I don't yeah, the the only thing I know you can't avoid is seeing death and dying, for sure. Yeah. And I will I would hate to see us not grieving. If I were yeah. not grieving the inevitable death someday of my mother and father and countless others. Yeah. I would be, I think there's something even sickening about the idea and yeah. the question. Yeah. So if that's considered suffering, then amen to suffering, so to speak.
0: Exactly. <laughs> like, that's that meaning through suffering when you can switch that. And that's the idea behind like a lot of these people, you know, Alan Watts, Jordan Peterson, um, uh, Victor man's search for meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, people talk about this and it's so clear they're not saying like you should avoid suffering or all these things it's Not it's reframing it is not bad. like why are we label it bad? That?
1: well that's like, my point yes and that's what i mean by assumptions that mm-hmm. and i do think it can i think the again the tendency is ex- excess in the absoluting and if we perceive that like we are so silly as animals that we if you know if life is suffering and if inevitably they're suffering then it seems like some people not everybody of course I'm not and of course you haven't said this but they go too far with that as if um as if they have to be suffering to grow and I simply believe or simply question how necessary is the suffering for growth as opposed to other ways of growing like Uh, like growing because you're having a freaking good time
0: (laughs) Sure, yes 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 yeah just
1: enjoying joy 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 there's also that kind of growth
0: for sure it's huge 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 like and circling back like In movement practice, you know, I always like to see, like, these lessons. Like, that's a grand lesson about life.
1: Wait a second. Did you just walk in a circle? What did you just do?
0: (laughs) I went outside. My dog was ringing the bells. My dog is trained to ring the bells downstairs and everything to go outside. And I went downstairs to check. But
1: I I thought, I saw you walking around. I thought you were going to go to another room. And then all of a sudden, it was like you walked in a circle. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. He's in the same room. Every room in his house looks the same.
0: Yeah, it's... it's a lot of like white, like Christinity. Like, that's kind of what I'm into. Is It's like, got oh, plants. no, I, I, I was joking.
1: Like, like, oh my gosh, look at that bed. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, it's a little Tatami. I love that. Yeah. Um, I've been into like that minimalist approach to living for probably about six or seven years now. Um, yeah. It definitely did when I was uh, a broke child, too. You know what I mean? <laughs> like 18, it's like, there's a part, it's like, oh, I can, again, belief systems. It's like, oh, I. Don't have a lot of financial like independence right now or I'm not I'm not very financially savvy so I could call it I'm starving because I couldn't afford groceries or I'm fasting I can call it I can't afford furniture or I'm minimalist and then when I started you know building a business and whatnot finances didn't become a crippling factor it was like I realized I was like I still kind of want to live like that you know what I mean and it's like I could live in a nice home and whatnot and everything but it's like I still want to live like that. I still want to wake up and have the space and have the openness and be like, okay, there's not so much clutter in my room, not cluttering my mind. You know what I mean? That that's your relationship with it. Um, but earlier, just to not go on so much of a tangent, you were mentioning the suffering. And again, movement practice can be this too. Like these lessons, right? Mm-hmm. Like injury. That's like the immediate, like, that's the suffering in practice to me. That's one of the heaviest sufferings that people go through the most tangible. Like when you step on your foot and your ankle inflames flames or, When that happens and every time you take a step, it hurts. It's like, what are you confirming? What are you telling yourself about that? Do you wake up with like nervousness, nervous system? Like you wake up with nervousness around moving it. Like what are your beliefs around that movement now? Like what is your belief around it? Was it a message? Do you actually perceive it as a a message of something's going awry? Like you just need to make change or you see it as like, this could be crippling. I did something wrong. I'm bad. What do you tell yourself about that injury? You know what I mean? That is fostering a relationship with suffering and what it means to you. But it's also like, oh, I did that because I took risks. I learned. like, And maybe things have even hurt. Like I've hurt. I thought I hurt myself and realized that things were actually kind of restructuring or repositioning in my body. You know what I mean? Like big structures. And it's like, so you don't even always know what the pain means, right? So it's assuming that we know what the suffering means. We're assuming it's because I'm bad. It's because I did something wrong. It's because... It was incorrect, or did this and that. And it's like no 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 no. No, it was just pointing you in the right direction. That's all it is, that's all it can be, you know. And so again, the relationship with suffering, how do you deal with that? Um, and then there's other more minute ones I mentioned earlier, like failure. How do you deal with not achieving the movement and it looking as graceful as you want it to be, or not achieving it at all? It's just you couldn't get the pop, you couldn't get the hand placement, you couldn't get this, you couldn't get that. How do you? How do you contend with that? Is it because then it's like, do you create suffering unnecessarily? Now, we mentioned that. Are you welcoming suffering by telling yourself fallacious things about your practice or about what you're doing? So, again, it's about contending and having that mindfulness that comes from, you know, like yoga and meditation and breath work, like that comes from that. But we're also applying it to more rigorous practices so that we're not on one end of the spectrum. It's like, What if you took that same mindfulness and approached it to strength training or acrobatics or something hard style, something big and powerful? It's like, that's not out of the question, but you have all these avenues where it's like you're either the hyper-masculine Michelin man who can't wipe his own ass or you're the unrelatable esoteric yogi, Mr. and Mrs. Soy Latte, who can't lift their own body weight, you know? (laughs) you have these spectrums and it's like you do not have to choose to be on one end you don't have to choose red blue left right, this and that right you don't have to black and white it's like uh, the best things are probably in that gray area you know and it's like you when you have the freedom and authorization philosophically to live in that gray area it is so much more fun it's so much more invigorating and lively to live in that gray area than it is to be like oh i'm permanently going to be bendy and have my chakras aligned or I'm going to be bulky and be can't get a fruit sticker off my back you know like it's it's just you don't have to make those choices we don't have to suffer you know we don't have to suffer that's needless suffering it's only addressing and only dealing with the inevitable suffering you talked about grief loss inevitable parts of life and loving inevitable parts of loving another human loving many humans in different ways is that it's unlikely that you won't lose one of them in your life. That's an inevitable suffering. But if you are living your life with a formula that you know is creating unnecessary comfort, time for a new formula, right? Time for a new approach in some way, shape or form. So that's a good little like tie. in I live alone.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's a perfect tie. And, you know, one of the foundations of the Feldenkrais training is, and, what he was really honing in on, I think, with respect to how it all is connected and the link between, you know, movement practice, so to speak, and and focusing on the quality of your movement and becoming more aware, literally, the practice is called awareness through movement, was the understanding that you can relate to the process of life as never-ending. And there's always some new, there's always something new if you allow it. There's something more if you allow it while you're alive. As long as you're alive, that's inevitable. That is an inevitability. And what that also highlights is the extent to which it doesn't seem like we've organized our world to, as you said, um, there's an anti-movement, so to speak, aspect of our society. But there's also an anti-life, if you will, if you look at it that way, where we've organized ourselves to forget that the growth actually won't stop (laughs) and the opportunities aren't going to end. And I'm constantly delighted by how (laughs) seemingly profound that simple shift in awareness is because of, again, even if, yes, suffering is inevitable, especially for those obvious reasons like, someone you loved died and oh. that, will, that will happen we all know that's going to happen I'm pretty sure that's one of the things we know yeah. um, that doesn't mean that while you're alive the, the journey really ever will stop and of course if you want to explore your range of motion yeah maybe you need to realize yeah I don't want to do it at the cost of stability and, and capacity to you know swing like a uh, as you said a given <laughs> Um, just because i can touch my toes uh doesn't necessarily mean everything's you know everything's hunky-dory i still have to potentially go climb something later on
0: doesn't mean i can save my cat from a burning building you know yeah
1: for yeah real life examples yeah and all of this to me the most provocative potential for this kind of awareness is yeah well if perhaps the norm is excessively if if our normal belief patterns and belief systems um and thought patterns are reinforcing unnecessary suffering and potentially making us all much less <clears throat> i i think we could just simply say fulfilled than is possible then what would the what would life look like if we tilted that a different way, I don't think we'd be worrying about climate change, if you will. I don't think we'd be worrying about um, the terrorists. I don't think we'd be worrying about the conspiracy theorists. I don't think we'd be even dealing with these kinds of problems. We'd probably be exploring the freaking solar system or galaxy, Uh, knowing that our home is intact and beautiful.
0: Yeah, we can't get over these... Things. it's all this fuse and even in our industry it goes back to exactly what we started talking about it's like yeah well busy having a war like you can't also be busy empowering the masses
1: I don't think so I don't know how you could yeah
0: yeah oh, I don't see that as feasible um, and so it's like where do you want to put your energy like you know and how much do you want to pull back because I know a lot of these people a lot of these teachers have have that intention but to me maybe it's not spoken enough. Maybe it's not, they're not reminded of it themselves. Like I hear every once in a while, Mm -hmm. but when I teach students, I remind them almost every time. Like I say it at least one to three times in every class. It's like, remember guys, we're here to do what we can to empower ourselves so that we can hopefully empower others that we can find a deeper understanding of what it's like to be in this life. Hopefully we can find that. I'm not sure if this is going to be your Avenue. I'm not, I'm not trying to sell you the way I'm offering a way. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like when you start having these, cause systems say it's the way concepts say, here's a way like here's a way try it on for size. Does it fit? Great. Like, you know, and it's again, that's empowering. That's, that's freedom for myself to be like, all right, well now that I'm not so hung up on like, I have to teach in this way under this system. Like for instance, in, in movement class that I teach on Sundays, this whole past month we did nothing but like foot mechanics, like spiraling, we did um, a lot of the WEC method work and rotation and cueing on that, like very specific. And then we started this month, and I was like, okay, guys, we're gonna throw all that shit out. And we're just gonna play, <laughs> we're gonna do coordination tasks, and it doesn't matter how your feet are, it doesn't matter any of these things. And people are like, wait, what? I'm like, guys, we're exploring concepts. We're not bowing before systems here, okay? And people, the students immediately, like, light up. They're like, oh, that. Again, and it took one month. But all the new students who were there for this month were like, I see what we're doing here. I now see what we're unpacking here. And what we're allowed to do, what we have the freedom to explore, empowerment, boom, boom, boom. How many empowering philosophies can you pack into one one little module, one class, or one little moment? Um, And like I said, I think a lot of these cats get so hung up on being right. I'm being like, oh, this is the way you are designed to move. And this, this will fuck you up. And this will make you the greatest. And I'm like, like, okay, but can you remind them why you're concerned about them being great? Because I do believe your heart's in a good place. You want them to be great. But more so, you want to be right. Yeah. And that, that's on your list of priorities from what I see. From what I see. Again, still an assumption. But it appears to be that you are more concerned with being right than you are with empowering people. And... To me, it's not, not my list, not my organized priorities. Um, yeah, that's, that's why I got blocked <laughs> after <acknowledge, laughs> acknowledging that someone had more expertise than me and that I was open to hearing it. And then I got blocked. <laughs> and then, like, it was just a very, like, it's just, it's just funny. Like, that's the way it is. And, you know, someone told me that like, maybe that's a marketing thing. Maybe it, it helps them maintain some level of like, like there's no such thing as bad publicity kind of thing like, oh, now they're talking about us because we bought them for no reason. It's like, oh, maybe I got you some sales on that. You know, it's like, and maybe maybe that's where your priorities have gone is, is being shock factor. And I'm like, again, still like, okay. Like if that's your priority, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to go down this avenue where I'm still reminded that the people around me are what I'm trying to help and myself. I'm trying to understand and I can acknowledge that I don't know shit, but I'm trying to understand as much as I can. And I spend my time focused on that. You know, I'm not trying to convince you of something. I'm trying to allow you the space and context to explore things, your things, whatever things you're curious about, right? I think that's so, so important. So, so important that people are thirsty for that. It's just space to explore, just space to explore and create and to to be allowed to try and understand themselves, to quiet some of those things and to find that, like that proverbial flow state or whatever, and whatever they're doing, find what gets you there and then steer clear of anything that disintegrates you from that. Find what puts you in this, like, cause we all know what that feels like. Like when we're like, when we feel charismatic and we feel like we're in our element to say, and that flow state, that's kind of been bastardized now, but we know, <laughs> what, that feels, we know what that feels like. So, how do we how do we foster getting there and then how do we foster staying there
1: you know? interesting you say that's been bastardized i have yeah there there's a recent film which in a very indirect way provided a a fun suggestion as to how that's become bastardized which is to simply say people have become addicted to wanting it they people have become they've desired just that yeah it's again the propensity to Towards excess. It all, yeah, it's, these are important tools that, um, yeah, this, this, lev, this way, how you go about exploring your, yourself and improving your sense of self and relating to others seems to be the key theme here that, that there is a how that matters. What is critical? Understanding what, and, you know, probably. Having a a message that is consistently, uh, I don't think right, but at least striving for, um, uh, yeah, I guess you could say being supportive of others is is good, yeah. but how you go about it is is so important too.
0: And yeah, there's also yeah, believing how you go about it is extremely important because. I, I think that's
1: what I, you've been saying. Yeah.
0: I like, yeah, exactly. Other, other, see, when I was very academic, I, I remember I, you always hear like, oh, IQ, IQ, intelligence quotient, right? There's yeah. all these different. EQ. And then yeah. and the recent EQ has become a thing that people are growingly concerned about. But KQ is still associated with like hyper masculinity and jock culture. When people think athleticism, mm. they think like, I've seen it in just like social gatherings, like, oh, like the jocks that picked on me in high school and this <laughs> and that. Like, oh see, that's the like that's the toxified culture that is in some of it, right? But there hasn't been a lot of homage paid to treating physicality as an intellectual pursuit, to treating physicality as an integral part of our being.
1: True. We've
0: thrown that out because we see in like all of the eighties archetypal movies that the athletic folks are the the preppy, arrogant, conceited, like they're these these negative we have a negative connotation associated with athleticism and capability, like physical capability, because we assume that that means they left emotional. We we start to make these assumptions, like we're like, oh, if they're high on the physical intelligence, you know, or the kinesthetic intelligence, uh-huh. then that must mean they're low on the IQ and the EQ because they prioritize this. But it's like, but oh, what if they understood that that was their holy trinity? There, that they and they were using one. To better unify and to better understand the other. Is that so far-fetched to even imagine? Not really when you word it like that. When people are like, well, what if you use one as a tool to understand the other? Then you become like, you don't have uneven spokes on your bicycle. Mm -hmm. And so you can go forward, right? And
1: yeah, I I think that's why a guy like Joe Rogan has become such a fucking powerhouse globally because yeah he kind of does represent that in a very provocative and, and consistent way ah. all of it in a very That's- consistent way he's one of the most obvious examples of that pub- public examples of that sure. not necessarily the best example but he's certainly one of the most obvious ones
0: oh absolutely yeah and you hear these greats too, like and it's it's there, but it's small. Like if you read about Teddy Roosevelt and what that <laughs> did for amazing, you hear about him when he was yeah. younger, frail and weak, and then taking boxing and weightlifting, and that being. Some- or
1: even Lincoln. Now, yeah, Lincoln, boxing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Jordan Peterson talked about it too. Like he, he keeps coming up, but there's a lot of amazing minds in history. Talk about ooh the physical body and what that what that does to a person. Like and they kind of hint at it, and you hear, but you have to dig deep for that. But IQ and EQ are like paraded around society like the most like they're it you know and that's at least from my perspective and that's why i think maybe i'm very much so drawn to the physical aspect of developing those things um well yeah i felt more compassionate like and I've, i've even had my friends who are psychologists they're like well that makes total sense they're like you understand what it's like to be in a body like to be in a nervous system to be connected to that to know viscerally what suffering feels like, to know viscerally what joy feels like, to be so in touch with that, it gives you that... It maybe doesn't give you, but if you... It isn't, has that, been,
1: isn't that funny that the language is to be in a body, though? Mm-hmm. As opposed to...
0: Just being a body? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I think that actually hits the nail on the head. It's like, wait a Why are we even talking like these are different things? Why, Like, we're... Like, these are separate. Obviously, if that person's all in their head, they're probably not going to be able to touch their toes or tie their shoes for much longer. And obviously, if that person's all hypersensitive to everything and maybe overly empathic, been there, they're probably going to have some... Um, they're going to need to develop their their spine a bit and know how to have boundaries and yep. and say no. And obviously, if that person is only focusing on their their pecs and biceps and their six pack, they're probably not going to be the most, um, they're probably going to be very manipulated or easily manipulated by something. Uh, yeah. and that's going to have a negative effect on their lives or, or others. And all of these things just fit together. So obviously the idea that they're separate is part of the, the, the cuckoo-ness of our, um, mm-hmm. tendencies. And, yeah.
0: The same thing with the mind-body connection.
1: Yeah. Same. God, it's so, all so silly.
0: <laughs> talking about the connection, I'm like, where the fuck was the severance? Yes, like, right. Like, when did you do that? Because I've never done that. Like, I've, never, I've not yet been able to do that, to sever that. So, please well, share. That,
1: right. So, back to suffering. That's what I was... That's actually a better way of understanding where I was coming from with per, saying that we have these potential very consistent and prolific um, assumptions. Just obviously language is a huge component of it. And again, back to chicken and the egg, just which came first, who, well, it doesn't matter. We need to be aware of both. And somebody like Jordan Peterson is a good example because he had to dramatically reconcile his potential disconnection with his body, (laughs) Yeah. V- wonderful mind, very, very provocative mind, and obviously very, um, um yeah, very, very important, but completely uh, knocked off course by inevitable gut dis- destruction and yeah. dysfunction. So you're going to have to deal with all of it. And uh-huh. yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's,
0: it's definitely fascinating that as a culture we want we it's I think it comes from that cadaver science. I think it comes from our propensity to like want to we want to separate and study instead of studying it as it is an interplay a system that cannot be separated and studied. It's not the sum of its parts like food. Right. Same thing with food. You take a banana, you take all the components: the potassium, the starch everything in it, and you give it to me in pill form, it ain't gonna do the same shit of me, as me eating that banana. It's not gonna do the same thing. Um, and that's because it's not the sum of its parts. Man. It's an interplay. It's things in the right structure, in the right place, having connection, it's just, it's there's too much going on for us to separate it. Another example in the body is like when we did cadaver science for compression on the spine for like something like a high back bar squat or something, right? For years and years and years and years, we we're like, oh my god! When you compress the spine, you compress the spine. And then I saw this, um, Dr. Moses Bernard. Um, he he studies tensegrity a lot. I think he's a functional range conditioning guy too, which I, I'm not super into, but it is a system out there, right? Another system, another system. We love those, <laughs> right? And mentioned how recent studies have shown that due to IAP intraabdominal pressure and then tensegrity around the spine, even with a with a three hundred pound barbell, there can be net zero compressive forces on the spine. Net zero, like that is what the human. But for years and years and years, we took the spine out of a cadaver and we loaded it. And we're like, how much can it handle before, it, you know, herniates or bulges the disc? Oh, it can handle this much. Not even pondering the idea that it functions different when it's alive.
1: Yeah, that's because the here. only real direct critique i have of fp and and of course most of us have endemic compressive tendencies i mean i'm jealous that you've set yourself up to be able to sit and move around like you have and i i've been sitting in my beautiful little chair here and it, it is a nice spot but i know i'm gonna get up and move and i'm gonna be fine but this spe- the and i don't i don't really think this is we've gotten into so many more enriching topics and connected it to so much more. That's I think not surprising actually in retrospect, but I do want to highlight this one to me consistently, really slightly destructive um, me- point that I see all the time in FP, which is that barbell shit is inevitably bad for you. Like it makes no sense to me that they could keep saying that I mean, take their guy, Barry Sanders, no doubt, did back squats. I don't understand how they reconcile that kind of I, hypocrisy. People do deadlifts and back squats and front squats all the time and they're some of the most functional humans I've ever seen.
0: <laughs> they, uh, they they uh, what they failed here is to align with what's called the lindy effect have you ever heard of the lindy effect no tell me it is the idea that objects don't or uh, institutions and objects and ideas do not age in the way organisms age we get older and we die if i'm 100 years old versus one year old the 100 year old is more likely to die tomorrow than the one year old more likely because you you decay right however think like a book the book that's written this year is very unlikely to even be in circulation next year. Well, let's talk about the Holy Bible, right? How long has that been in circulation? Do you think it's going out next year? Is it going to be gone? No, it's, it's subject to the Lindy effect, which means as long as it's been around, that is evidence for it sticking around. Mm. It stood the test of time. High back bar squad is one of those things. Um, It has been around since the Roman empire. I imagine like Greek, like it is, it is an ancient lift, an yeah. ancient, okay? It stood the test of time. It's developed the best athletes in history. Um, and you functional patterns are an infant. I don't think the <laughs> paraball. I don't think the paraball is gonna be around as long as the barbell will be for obvious reasons. Again, so you have, you have to start seeing like these things as subject to the Lindy effect. It's mm-hmm. been around a long time and it worked. You are under a lot of scrutiny to disprove its effectiveness because it has been effective for thousands of years. You have a, a huge burden of proof is upon the functional patterns guys. Huge, huge burden of proof,
1: right? And I'll be the—I'll just say it because, <clears throat> and then you don't have to. We can ignore it. I think this is why it just seems like Naudy is so consistently a Napoleon complex kind of guy. Yeah. Um, and this <laughs> this thing about the barbell in particular, like obviously. Many people shouldn't be doing it, but that doesn't mean nobody can do it well. It's crazy. Uh, <laughs> obviously, cr- many people are doing these things, and their capacity for function is extraordinary um, and for I will uh, and I'll also say that i I've been playing with the parable. i it's fun. I think <laughs> the f- it is fun. And I think it actually is helping improve certain scapular um patterns
0: not to say it's not good
1: yeah yeah like, yeah yeah.
0: you can't be like it's
1: easy to say all of this it's easy yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> it's, and just to acknowledge like how much weight you give it how much weight are you willing to give it and you have to use like honest there's like you have to reference so many things referencing history referencing just common sense referencing you know like there's so much to reference to be like is what they're saying really sound And like literally all it takes is one challenge to the idea. Like from earlier with the whole, the the logic behind the best athletes do this. So you should too. Mm. Just humor the idea that they are not great because they did this. They are great in spite of doing this, despite having done this.
1: Mm. They
0: are great regardless of that. So to assume that every variable they did is a variable in their greatness, it's kind of foolish. Some of it's just going to be extraneous. Someone's going to say, you can't start having that causative tendency that we have. You have to be like, oh, they do that. But does that, does that automatically mean that's what got them there? Absolutely not. Like it does not mean that's what did it for them. You know? And it's like, but it's easy for us to be like, oh, the greats do it. So I want to do it. It's like, that's unidimensional. Again, linear mm-hmm. your thought process and all it takes is a little bit of scrutiny to be for anybody with a little bit of a reasonable mind to be like, oh yeah, I guess it is more complex than that. All right, yeah. and then officially for the rest of your life, you can dismiss when people come to you with that absolute shit, like the absolute shit. Like it's not absolutely shit, but they come to you with that absolutism, which is shit. <laughs> <laughs> which then when they come to you with that, you can you can have that like little head tilt moment. Where you're like, well, let me let me go back. Let me think about what I've read in the past. Let me think about historically, do I have any evidence or any thoughts that disprove that? Because that's all you can do, right? It's like nothing can be proven, right? Even the most common things you think about gravity, it's all theorized, right? And you can't prove it. You can only have evidence to disprove it. And when you have no evidence to disprove it, it gets its highest, the highest order in science is a theory, mm. right? It's, so you can only go around disproving things. Um, so it's like, oh, barbells injure people. Barbells are destructive to the body. All I need is one person who didn't destroy themselves while weightlifting, which trust me, there are plenty. All I need is one person to disprove the notion that lifting a barbell is going to destroy your spine. Like it's going to destroy you. It's going to hurt you. It's going to harm you. It's like, all we need is one person to disprove that. So when you make those absolute claims, huge, huge burden of proof, huge, huge, huge. But if you go just adding just a little bit of necessary skepticism to the absolutes in life, you give people the freedom to be like, Oh my God, I can critically think about that too. Great. God, thank goodness. You know what I mean? You don't have to be like, you don't get this authority thing, this appeal to authority where it's like, oh, someone with 500,000 followers said this shit. So it must be true. Hmm. We fall victim to that. Oh, the greats did it. This is appealing to authority too. The greats did it. I must do that. Eh, eh, Look at it a little bit. Look at it a little bit. Make sure like sit with that thought for 48 hours. and See, think about it right now. Like, Really give it the scrutiny because you're talking about big things. You're talking about how you're going to approach life. But don't take that lightly. Put it under a microscope and make sure it fits. Make sure it holds true under some tests. And I think a lot of people are just like, oh, I heard this philosophy. It sounded eloquent. We love eloquently strong words. Uh, we read it in a book and we're like, we live by that. And it's like, hmm. what about the next book that's just as eloquent but antithetical? You know, and it's like, so you have to contend with that, like, Especially in the age of misinformation, you have to be able to be like, okay, are there key things that I can kind of live by and use as just navigators? So all you do is look at systems and look at absolutes and then question them. And you just go about questioning absolutes. And that's your, that at least for me, that's become my way. It's to just kind of question, experiment, prod, put some art in it, remind people that you don't know. You're just that guy who's willing to experiment and is willing to share what he understands with the disclaimer that they're... I could be wrong with the disclaimer that I'm open to one of you in this even setting. I'm open to one of my students showing me something new. Like that's, that's great. You open a context for really great dialogue and you create, you create the same, the same mad scientist that you might want to be or the same researcher, experimenter, tinkerer, this, this navigator or this trailblazer. You can still instill that in your students too, the people you work with. Cause all the time I see someone do something. I'm like, I, and they've never done it. And I'm like, I've never thought to do that. But they bring their own beliefs. They bring their own approaches and they show you something. And you're like, you're inspired in that moment. It's like, oh, wait, you came to me for guidance. And I'm sitting here and I'm like dumbfounded by what you just showed me. And when you're willing to be like that, but I could, I could, I could be like, oh, I've never seen that. It makes me feel like I might could be wrong. Get out of my class. Lost.
1: <laughs>
0: like what happens, you know? What
1: happens when we get like that? I'm not your point. I think we <clears throat> it seems like we reinforce something that we're not really wanting. At the end of the day, I don't think they want to reinforce it, but unfortunately, for better or worse, it seems like they are. But um it certainly doesn't seem to add to the world or the unified approach, the unified guidance. I'm just rereading what you wrote. That yeah. potential for a unified understanding which yeah that's what gets me most jazzed is imagining what that if that was real if we had that and if enough of us understood that in all contexts i mean obviously more movement is our lens through which we seemingly understand everything and i do mean everything and that's kick ass Um, dude
0: Colin, what could what could we do with physical education for kids If we got education,
1: education is the key. Yeah.
0: What if we got a whole generation of kids to have PE teachers with a curriculum that's based on a board of directors that have people like Naudi Aguilar, Edo Portal, David weck agreeing and coming up with curriculums for kids? Like, what would that look like? What would our culture look like in 50 years? Like,
1: or even Waylon Harrison.
0: Well, shit. Like, I'll take up the torch. Like, you know what I mean? (laughs) I'm more than willing. I'm like, you guys don't want to talk. All right, I'll dish out the tens of thousands of dollars I need to, to work with you I will bust my ass to go learn from you and absorb what is useful. I will digest and I will, you know, dismiss what I do not find useful and I will give what is uniquely mine and I'll take up that torch. Like, I'll digest everything you have to share with me. I'll make it my own. I'll make sure that it's like it's really thought about, it's put under scrutiny for years and years and years, and I will deliver a refined pod- product or message to the masses. It's like, I'm willing to do that. Like It's like, I believe that people should have access to this. And it's like, I've had to travel and I've had to dish out monstrous amounts of money to these people. And it's just like, I'm like, this to me seems like it needs to be taught in public education. This needs to be taught. Like, this is...
1: Yeah, it's all big. about reforming public education. Yeah, yeah. I do think that is the main practical step. I don't know what else we could possibly do that would have a... Sustained effect.
0: Yeah, a very systemic effect. Um, there's a teacher out in I think Washington, somewhere in the Northwest, uh, but her name's Chris Rufalo. She's like Rufulus on Instagram, and she did a podcast with um, well, I forgot who it was, but I remember hearing something. And she's a, she's a PE teacher, right? And she has was mentioning in this podcast. It was it was a while ago and I was listening to it. She mentioned about like even kids, and this is a touchy topic right now. Um, but like uh, gender dysphoria.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah. Mentioned how, when she started, she started applying a lot of general movement principles and stuff. I'm not sure who she worked under or anything like that, but she's a brilliant movement teacher. And she started applying some of that mindful movement practice in her physical education program in one of the Northwestern States. And she mentions how like this, There's something, and I don't want to speak too much on it because I'm not educated on it. However, she says in her experience, in her anecdotal experience, she's noticed that like the rates of gender dysphoria have like people who get that confusing state, but then have this relation with their body now, this communication with their body. They're not so like detached from it and willing to remove themselves or alter it or feel like they're the opposite of it. That has dissipated heavily. She has seen it just like, she has seen it plummet just, and this is just an anecdote, but it's Makes like it's that you think like what kind of psychological disempowerment do we start to rectify whenever we have a culture around quality movement, around capacity, around adaptability, like, what are we, what, are, what kind of generation do we create? Like, cause we haven't done it really. So yeah. it's like,
1: no, it's what? been, it's been, that's why we have such, that's why we even have the terms IQ, EQ, KQ, because we've been thinking it instead of, practicing it instead of yeah. actually relying on that which is not provable but most consistently um, most consistent and that is not yeah. a thought <laughs> not rooted in a thought we can think our right. way into any direction yeah. literally and I think we've that's that's a. I believe that we can think ourselves into any corner
0: oh for sure top to um, ten about what they believe about
1: their life and you'll see that they exactly exactly so the the foundation for changing your beliefs and your sense of self of course it can't just be rethinking it has to be thinking right. while exploring thinking allowing for the thinking to change not directly but indirectly if you will yeah or at least in tandem with movement
0: yeah. And it's so easy to feel, too. Like, usually it takes one class, like, at least when I'm working with students, it takes one class for them to see, like, he, I, I bring a chalkboard and whatnot to every class, too, because there's the moments where we have, like, the classroom where we're doing terminology or definitions, or I'm showing them how I broke down what i programmed for them. Um, I'm showing them, like, okay, we had A1, where you dribble, like, A means you use both hands, B meant you use one hand, left or right, this, okay, A, C, 1.2.1, 1, like, everything has, like, and this is the task at hand. You can start to see how I webbed this and what the flow chart looked like for me developing this increasingly complex task. Mm. So, it's see that process, right? And they notice that, and they're like, "They're like, oh, that's very, very cool. That's that's wildly fascinating." Like, people are mind blown that there's like, you can, like, almost it gives, it gives me when I'm feeling it, when I'm in that state, when I'm imagining it, and I'm writing it down. It's almost I get a very mad scientist-y feel. Like, I feel very like oh my gosh, what if I do this? And I pick up my tennis ball and I'm moving around with like some sticks and stuff. I'm like, okay. And I, and I call like one of my roommates or something over. I'm like, hey, come try this. And I'm just tinkering with it. But then in class, something will come up and I, have, well, I will have spent an hour and a half, two hours writing in a journal about something. And then in class, in 30 seconds, we'll be playing with something. I'll be like, oh, what if we... And you start to see the value of the doing in, in practice, in the field, in the thick of it, in the chaos, improvisation like what you see in the moment when it's actually laid out is so much more potent than what you can theorize on paper than what you can think about and just imagine those are valuable parts of it but and they see it too they'll do the same thing i'll be like okay write out like imagine in your head how you want to do this movement how you want to go about it how you want to look let's do a visualization exercise and then like imagine how you would progress that how you would make that a little more and then they do it and then they're doing it like oh and then That's where the connections start to come. And they're like, okay, I thought about this so hard for this five, 10 minute exercise. And then I went into it in 15 seconds, all of that thought had to get thrown out the window because in practice, it didn't work the way I thought it would. But I found a new avenue. And now in the future, I will think differently based on this new information I've gotten from practice. So now I'll even theorize better. I will theorize with more efficacy because I have been in the chaos. I've been in the field. And so students get very apt very quickly because, well, it's a body we're talking about. And I don't I don't attribute it to that any system I use, but I don't use a system, right? I don't attribute it like, to that. It's like, but fostering that exploration it is amazing. Like, And again, it's raising that bar for what you believe humans are capable of. I do hold a core belief that humans are, I mean, like even this, even working with this, I don't treat it humbly that this is the most advanced piece of biotech in the known universe. I don't treat that humbly. Okay, I treat that with the utmost divine respect. And when I go in there, I am aware that everybody I'm looking at is in the same piece of divine technology. Mm -hmm. They they are the same piece of divine technology, right? it's, again, that language. They're not in technology. They are the divine technology. They
1: are. Yeah, they are. I love the distinction. To really
0: really acknowledge that and hold that in your heart and hold that in your mind and to project that out into your students. that is a ripple. That is an energy that they feel and they come back for because it is, I mean, it's refreshing to them. They're used to going like, you know, I hear a lot of people come to me after yoga or after CrossFit or after Zumba class or after their, their traditional gym experience. And they're like, man, I was tired of the wads. I was tired of doing 15 burpees, 20 lunges, run two miles, like this mindless, someone just threw together some words that they knew and were like, do 20 of this, do 50 of this. Oh, you're sweating and you want to throw up? That must mean you did good work. I'm like your bar for humanity is must be so fucking low to assume that that's your metric for what quality work is like they sweat and they want to throw up like, or they're super sore the next day. Like that's your metric for quality work. I'm like, again, as unidimensional as it gets, you know? And I'm like, okay, so sweating, sweating is a metric for quality physical work, right? Okay. So when you sit in a sauna for 10 minutes and you come out drenched in sweat, did you do a lot of physical work? Like you just the humor humor these things. Like it's like when you slightly injure yourself and you sore the next day. Does that mean you did great work? Like when it's like these are these are piss poor metrics that people are using. And they're and I've done seminars for these gyms. I've done seminars for CrossFit gyms and all sorts of different facilities and stuff. And it's like I always I look the personal trainers and coaches in the eye and I'm like, guys, you're working and I I give them that you're working with divine technology. You're working with people's vehicle for everything they're ever going to do in their life. You're working on something that's going to allow grandparents to pick up their grandchildren. Like you're working on something that's going to like, that's going to be everyone's world. Like this is people's world and they may not even understand that. But I hope you guys are not treating that lightly. I hope you guys are not going to Instagram for your, for some mobility flow that you're just going to replicate in your class. Like I really hope that that's not what you're doing. And if that is what you're doing, maybe it's time you step down and let somebody who's going to take this seriously, do what you're doing. And I have that contending conversation with, I've had it with even like doctors of physical therapy and physiotherapists that have come to my seminars. I'm like, my like, guys are, is that where your heart is? And a lot of them are, yes. But then I've had people who are like, well, you know what? Maybe I have been. And, and that's a beautiful moment too of authenticity and integrity where people are like, you know what? I don't want to be like that anymore. I have seen this as just a job, something that pays pretty well and I can just work out for money and this and that. And I'm like, all right, like, thank you for your honesty. And then, then it unpacks other things. And it's like, but a lot of people want to see that they see it in my work and they see it in what they're doing. And I love to see it. I love to see it later. I'll go to the gyms that I've taught at and see them implementing some of the different work that I've taught them. And I'm like, that's, that's wonderful. Like that is so wonderful to see that evolution, even in teachers and coaches and trainers and stuff to see that evolution and that mindset shift towards like, guys, can we unify under the idea that we're trying to empower people and we need to, do whatever we can, and we need to be as humble as possible, so that the space is there to do that. You know, I think that's that's so so dramatically important. And someone's got to question that. And sometimes I'm like, "Whoa, bro, who are you?" You're like some guy coming in and telling all these coaches with a lot more experience than you, "Hey, like, are you guys abusing this?" You know what I mean? Like sometimes I have that. Like I reflect on that. I'm like, "Who are you?" Then I'm like, "No, no, no, no." This needs to be put under scrutiny. I know it needs to be put under scrutiny. The bar needs to be high because I do, I hold the core belief, like I said, that we're working with something deeply important, that we're working in a a facet of life that is so important and it can't be, like I said, that's why it breaks my heart when I did that, like that personal training cert, like $800 to do like three months of like 10 year outdated information you know what I mean? like, And I'm like, this is the standard we're setting for the internationally recognized trainers. Like, this is the bar for human understanding that we let people go out and work again on the most advanced piece of divine technology. Like, this is what... And I'm just like, the bar is so low. The bar is so low. And it just, I just want to raise the bar. Like, that's all it is. You know, I want to go out there and we talked about physical education and those things. I want to raise that bar. I... See people like even my teachers, and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna raise the bar even for you. Maybe, maybe I'm just some arrogant kid for that, but I'm like, I want you guys to put your egos aside and get together and have a conversation that can empower the masses.
1: That's not arrogance. No, that's a healthy relationship. That's making sure that nobody re- forgets that they're still learning. Yeah, it's happening, it happens all the time. Yeah, no, and unfortunately. I did give myself a little time limit so I do have to, uh, we're going to need to. <laughs> so, I it's already Sunday night. Um, <laughs> even calling it therapy, like people, I, I have some clients, they, they love it and it's so delightful to to see how much they care. They're like, I was trying to explain what I do to some friends. And, and we keep coming back. It's like physical, it's like a form of physical therapy. And I just love listening. But it's like, you know, I think the the word therapy isn't quite right because there's an, and we don't need to get into too much. We've already done it. But the implication that there's something wrong is or something that needs fixing is inherent to therapy, I think. It's like, it's it's just learning. It's just education. Yes, it's just a very undervalued aspect of education. That, as you're saying, let's let's see what we can do to reform the value system. (laughs) Amen. Reforming the value system, I think we can. I think we are. I think it's inevitable. But I want to be. If I want it to be efficiently, I want whatever can shift to shift gracefully and efficiently as well. And,
0: and be a catalyst, um, in the, yeah. catalyst that we can possibly be like, um, yeah. at something. And we can take to the grade and be like, well, we played our part. We played our part in something bigger than us. And like, what else can I ask for in this life? You know?
1: Yeah, brother. That oh, was a combination of brother and buddy. I didn't know which one I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but no. Yeah. Brother. Buddy. Hi, brother.
0: <laughs> it's a pennsylvania thing i guess
1: yeah we're we're a little weird over here we're all we're all yeah a bunch of rednecks uh um pennsylvania is a mix every well never mind i'm i don't even know about i don't know pennsylvania i'm in a bu- i'm in a weird <laughs> bubble here we're in a we're in a little we think we're in a bubble i'll say that man it, it continues to seem like we're not and not to open up other kinds of cans of other worms other cans of worms here but I've even found out just recently we found out like this one woman here in town was was just arrested for January 6th. She was very involved. Wow. Yeah. So we, we've got a mix, man. We got to, we got to mix.
0: You just never know what's going to happen. Yeah.
1: We're not in the bubble. We are in a very beautiful setting outside of Philly. It's considered to be a really beautiful spot. Um, and I mean that in like the way that I think you and I probably both appreciate beauty. There's a, just a lot of natural, just rolling hills. We don't have mountains, but we have this gorgeous river right here, the Delaware River. Um, uh,
0: by making soon, actually, I'm actually about to leave this house. I'm about to move towards a more um, rural part of Texas. I'm in the like, right outskirts of San Antonio. I'm moving towards a, called Clear Springs, Texas. Okay. And friends, Jazz and Sid, wonderful brothers of mine, they run a farm. They have like Good. a completely self-sustaining farm where they like the cows fertilize the soil, that they plant the orchards, on. And kind of thing. Like it's a very oh,
1: like a biodynamic kind of.
0: Soil. Yeah, it's very very mm-hmm. like it's an ecosystem, right? Yeah. And I'm moving into a household near them with my friend Sam, the fun guy. He's a mycologist, and so we're going to be uh, creating like sustainable food in our backyard. There,
1: there's a hero, Paul Stamets. I think is. A...
0: Yes, 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 yes. There's
1: yeah. a. Yeah, but go I'm, on. Yeah, you're moving.
0: Well, I'm, moving <laughs> I'm moving towards that like. Creating, um, I have a friend Dre who I've actually got the pleasure of meeting. But he started Roots Fitness here in San Antonio. He actually lives in Oregon. He's Roots Fitness Portland on Instagram. And he is profound. He runs a movement farm, Roots Movement Farm. <laughs> Beautiful, like this man! Wow, love Dre. Love Dre. What he, what he, what he has to say. Very, very highly recommend. Um, just listening to him, reaching out to him. Man, just can't sing enough praises. But he's he's inspired a lot of us, including myself. And I'm moving towards that. I'm like, you know what? Like, I got this body now. And I got this practice. And people look for this practice now. I've made enough of a mark. And I'm I'm not, like, famous or anything. But I've made enough of a mark. I got people who reach out to me and want a slice of my pie and this and that. And
1: Like today.
0: Yes. Exactly. (laughs) I was like, you know what? It's time for me to go do what I know I need to do. And it's like, I want to tend to the earth. I want to make my food happen. I want to, like... Why? Why would I not want something like that? Like, I want to be out of the city. Like, I want to know my air is clean. I want to just be comfortable in those things. I want to have rituals, like fire and ice rituals. We sit by the fire, set up the ice tub, and we go, we bounce back and forth. Like, I want that. Like, I want to start celebrating solstices and equinox, not you know what I mean, not like the new year, January 1st. Like, I want to think more like that. I want to be in tune with the seasons. I want to move this body in tandem with where it came from. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm So that's where I'm leaning towards. And so there was a, it's a big, like, it was a big, like, well, all right. Now, oh, what is this? What's Your this? name? <laughs> My what? Am I getting a Zoom call again?
1: You're getting is... another Zoom call?
0: Nope. There's no way I am never on Zoom. Oh, well. I'm leaping. Maybe it's just this one. Yeah. I have no know idea. <laughs> I'm just moving towards that. Like that's now it's time for me to make that evolution in my life and to make that change. So instead of videos of maybe me moving in my beautiful hardwood space, it's going to be more me like tilling soil and me, like it's going to be an environment change where it's like, it's going to be me more out breathing, dowsing being with the, the temperature, being with the seasons. It's going to be more because that's what I'm leaning towards. That's like what I feel called to do.
1: That's um, awesome. Good for you. And yeah. move, I love calling it a movement farm. I, yeah, that, that's a kind of model that's probably worth trying to recreate all over the place.
0: dre has got it going on. He has the he has the the Garden Games every year, where he invites a bunch of people. Out. I haven't had the blessing of going out yet, but I intend to. It's usually in September, and everybody goes out, and they have like they'll put a person in a wheelbarrow, and they're like like just they're literally like doing like Olympic games in this huge garden that's based in movement philosophy, yeah. and it's just a blast and he's just wicked strong he's got it's funny because he's so connected to everything he's got little baby d he's got a son and as he grows so you'll see him doing like these super slow muscle-ups with him like with the baby strapped to him and you just see like it's so well connected and as the as the child grows he's getting strong he's connected to it like that's his symbiosis and you see it in the way he speaks and you hear in his captions and what it's like captivating captions for sure um Yeah, and he's he's just he's got an understanding that I'm like, "Mm, that's a pie I want to slice up, so I'm gonna move my life towards that because I have the freedom to. And again, I I wrote that's what I wanted, and then I was at movement class, and one of my friends came in, was like, hey, I actually live in this big old house, like with a bunch of bedrooms that I'm just renting out myself, and this and that, and I have a farm, but like I have a backyard, and the farm twenty minutes from us with Jazz and Sid and people I knew, and I was like, I literally thought about it like in the same week. It's one of those things like. At least for myself, I've had to stop getting surprised when I ask for something on paper or when I reflect on something and then it shows up in my life. It's like that law of attraction kind of thing. Like At some point you have to stop being mesmerized by that. You have to just be like, all right, of course. What else is new? Like I attract what I want. I attract what I need in this life. And it's just yeah. like, you go with that and you don't try to understand the forces at play. You try to like speculate, look at the stars, the good. No, be in the flow. Stop disintegrating. Just be in and I'm in. And now I'm going towards exactly what I want. I'm super, super excited. But yeah, definitely, like it's interesting because my content and stuff almost certainly be like kind of altering towards that. I'm wondering, I'm curious to see what people will see, what people will say, of how many, what kind of different people might be attracted to that approach to practice. Because um, with my current practice, I attract a lot of like people, like ex gym rats, almost right. Because it's yeah. like, oh, I see you're on the hardwood floor a lot. You're sometimes outside. You got the monkey bars. You still lift. You do the kettlebell. It's still kind of like safe if you will but yeah. now this is we're like oh now you're using that body in relation to the earth oh and your food is coming from your movement now oh you're like cycling energy you're putting energy into something that's putting energy into you and now like i really feel that at least for my spirit that's going to be something different and i'm excited to explore that for
1: sure amen i'm excited. Amen. I am excited to perhaps reconnect once you've set up some roots at this new sure, of course. establishment. Of course. Yeah, it'd be good to a little be before and after. Absolutely. You are clearly on the cusp of some major, I guess, uh, evolutions and upgrades. Maybe.
0: I hope so. I hope and pray. I'm ready. I'm here for it. You know, <laughs> I'm I'm tilling the soil. I'm fertilizing the soil, so I'm ready for those seeds.
1: Good for you. Good. Thank you. This has been okay. delightful. I, uh, so far. I have a, a need to get home by a certain time. That's the main reason. So um, thank you. I'll just leave it at that. It's good. Of course,
0: Carl. Thank you so much for letting me share on you. I'll be talking to you soon, brother. You have a beautiful rest of your day, man.
1: You too. Thank you. Of course. Well, that was delightful. Thank you again, Whalen. Thank you very, very much for joining me. I look forward to part two after you settle into your new home and exploring Roots Movement Farm. Uh, that's what I am going to go do as well. If you haven't, or if you aren't looking that up by now, I encourage you to. Do. It's very interesting. I think to some extent that's that's largely what I want Koru to evolve into. That's the mis- That's the mission. Sounds like a beautiful place and look forward to seeing how that unfolds, how that evolves and how your world, Waylon, evolves and talking again soon. It was really, really nice to connect. Hope you all enjoyed it and good luck with that snow down there in Texas, buddy. (laughs) Let us know if you need anything. We're a little more, I guess, experienced with it. That's all for now. Um, Next episode, well, you'll just have to see. It'll either be, I think it'll be one of the uh, editors, Mr. Lorenz Markoff. That's right, Lorenz. I think you're the next one. (laughs) That's a really fun one. Lots of high energy people in this season. That's for sure. Lorenz being, in my opinion, one of them. All right, before we wrap up, I have somebody in the room. I don't know if he wants to say hi. No, they can't hear you from over there, buddy. Hello. You have to come to the mic. <laughs> All right, I'll leave you with a goodbye from Hello. Griffin. <laughs> All right, there you go. That was Griffin. Hello and goodbye. Do you want to sing a song? No. No, okay. All right. Be well, everybody. Thanks again, Whalen.